we have to get back to sort of the original vision of Bitcoin and the cypherpunks, right? Which is that, in a sense, Bitcoin and, and crypto in general is outside of any particular nation state system. Hello there. How are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into today's interview, I do have a message from my show sponsors. From the people behind sportsbet.io, we have BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino and is trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide. Not only do they have cutting-edge security, but fast withdrawals and VIP experiences and that money can't buy. BitCasino has 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other and 24-7 live chat support. To find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O, and please gamble responsibly. Next up, it is BlockFi. Now, BlockFi bridges the world of traditional finance and Bitcoin, empowering you for the future financial world. And for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides you the easiest way to earn more Bitcoin. There are no fees to use the card, no annual fee and no foreign transaction fees. And you can earn 1.5% back in Bitcoin on all purchases forever. And you know what? You can also earn 2% back in Bitcoin on every dollar over $50,000 of annual spend. If you would like to stack stats with BlockFi, then please head over to BlockFi.com to find out more and read the terms and conditions. All available at BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Next up, it is Casa. Whether you've just bought your first sats or you're a Bitcoin pro, you need to protect your investment. And the only person who should be in charge of your Bitcoin and financial freedom is you. And securing your Bitcoin doesn't have to be difficult because Casa makes it so easy for you. Getting started is super simple. You just download the app, create an account and enjoy a 30-day free trial. And if you need some assistance, it's just a click or phone call away. Casa has the best in-class customer support and free online resources to support you. Take your financial freedom into your own hands by self-custodying your Bitcoin so it can never be frozen without your consent. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Also, we have Ledger, and the world's most popular hardware wallet just got better. Ledger have recently announced the launch of the new Nano S Plus. With a larger screen, it makes it much easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions, and the Nano S Plus maintains the same high level of security as all other Ledger products. Now, I have been a Ledger user since 2017, and I absolutely love the S Plus. Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. Now, if you'd like to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Tell me about Red Bull, man. Um, I think we did a case on this in business school um, under the category of like where you find new startup ideas, new product ideas. So the guy who started the company that became Red Bull um, was on vacation in Thailand, somewhere in the north, Chiang Mai, something like that, okay. some little village, and found this stuff. So it, 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 it existed for something like a decade or more prior to his discovering it. Um, and there was like a local Thai businessman who had invented this stuff and created it and marketed it. And it was super po uh, popular, but only in like the little, that little region of Thailand. 
and he was like, holy shit, we, we need to take this global um, and partnered with the guy. So they became something like equal, equal partners and, and he built the whole global brand around it. Did some very kind of creative marketing. I don't normally ever drink it because uh, we used to do it at university. When I was at university, we used to make these buckets of vodka and Red Bull. Yeah, I mean, that's... And, uh, yeah. and just <laughs> so, so did we. <laughs> but, I, but I couldn't sleep. I yeah. get into bed, I'd be wired. I'd be looking at the scene and go, what the fuck's going on? It's double bad because you have both the alcohol, right, which like yeah. raises your blood sugar and makes it hard to sleep, and then you've got the whatever's in that on top of it. Fucking liquid cocaine. And I, I, I stopped drinking it. I can't even remember when I last had one. But At least this is the, the no sugar one, right? Because with the sugar's even worse. Well, I've given up coffee. I think so. I I gave a coffee about a month ago. You're a better man than me. I tried and failed. To be honest, I, it's, I, it's, I'm always swapping something out. If it's not coffee, it's chocolate. If it's not chocolate, it's tobacco. I, I do a thing where I try to like, I do a challenge every year, and it's usually like a dietary thing. So I did a year with no added sugar. I did a year with no alcohol. I tried doing no caffeine, and I failed after like a month. I just couldn't take it. Um, the no sugar was actually the hardest. Yeah, yeah. That's, I've tried. Because the sugar in everything. Yeah, and it's, everything. it tastes so good. Yeah. Yeah. I've done uh, no alcohol for months. I didn't struggle as much with that because partly it's just, it's, you just get over the social pressure. You're like, look, fuck you guys. You guys drink your beer. I'm going to drink this. It's fine. You know, at some point you, you stop caring. Uh, but also because it's a black or white, right? Something either has alcohol or it doesn't. Whereas, again, with sugar, the sugar in everything in like varying quantities. So that's what yeah. I really struggled with. Like, and it surprises you. Like, Jeremy brought in some uh, sugar free jerky. I was like, what do you mean sugar free jerky? Jerky has tons of sugar. The fuck are they putting sugar in jerky for? This is the thing. When, this is why these challenges are interesting. And by the way, this is especially bad here. It's like America. not so bad. Yeah, it's not so bad in Europe. Yeah. Um, but you start paying attention to the shit you're eating. Like, what's in the food? Yeah. Right? When you, like, I did, I tried being a vegan. I think I lasted like two weeks or something, but it was, really eye-opening because I was like, holy shit, there's like animal products in everything. In you know, did you know that vegans, like a lot of vegans, they won't drink wine Yeah, because there's animal products involved in processing the wine. Honey is another one. Well, the, not every, not exactly. every, not every, so I was a vegan for two years. Oh, you were? Okay. So, yeah. So yeah. when my mom got sick with cancer, she, she went vegan. So uh, I, I said, I'll do it with, with her. Uh, and first it was just dietary. And, and one of the things you go down the rabbit hole and yeah. you start looking at, Abattoir, like so. Yeah, even yeah, though yeah. I eat meat again now, I I only go only buy it from the butchers because the stuff they do in the supermarket is fucking oh. gross. It, it's just terrible the way they treat the animals. Um, but you do go that down that rabbit hole, and it's not all wines. So there was right, like there was right. like a website you could go to, right. and you could search, but there's animal products and wine. There's animal products in a mobile phone. I think there's animal products in tarmac on the road. I believe you. Um, another one's vitamin D. You know, there's like two or three sources of vitamin D. One of them is like mushrooms, uh -huh. which is obviously vegan, but there's another source that comes from fish or something. So just the, these, these things that come from animals that I had no idea until I started looking. Yes, it's in everything. Uh, now, some vegans have uh, honey because it's like you're not killing the bee, you're just stealing their honey. But what about milk? What do you mean? Like from cows. You're not killing the cow, but they don't drink milk, right? That's a fair point. I think it's just because a cow is like a... A real animal, whereas a bee is just—it's <laughs> just a fucking insect, right? So like you can get emotion from a cow, from a bee. You don't—you don't like. It's a mammal, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. the bee is just a, but it's a cool insect to be to the sting. I mean, insects. I agree. Um, I don't think they—they they don't have a central nervous system. They don't experience pain, as far as we can tell, right? Although, what do we know? Right? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how they operate because they just—they seem to have like these crazy abilities to find shit and fly back to shit. That's true. They have, well, they have this, what bees do that's really amazing is this, um, 
coordinated behavior on the scale of the hive, right? So, you know, they, they, they have these different, uh, what do they call them, casts or something of the bees, right? Mm -hmm. So they have like the worker bees who go out and, and right, they, and they, they, they find the sources of, of pollen or whatever the, they need. And then they, they dance, they, do right? they move dance. in certain ways to communicate yeah. about it. It's um, like, where did you get wild? Where did you get the pollen? It's like, watch my dance. And if you, if you understand my dance, you got to fly there, over there, and then you can get some pollen from that fucking dance. So it raises the, <laughs> an interesting, actually philosophical question, which is what is intelligence, right? So the individual bee maybe doesn't exhibit what you and I would call or consider intelligence, but on the scale of the whole community, the whole hive, it does exhibit intelligence. It almost works like a human brain. And each of the bees is almost like a, like a single neuron in that system. It, it receives and processes information, communicates, moves the information around. Is it just basically autonomous though? It's a good question. Like, does it think? You also get alcoholic bees. What? <laughs> yeah, they get, they get alcohol, alcoholism in bees is about the same as it is in humans, like the same percentage. Wow. Where the and fuck do they get their drink from? They eat like from super rotten fruit that's fermented. And when they go back to the hive, they get stung to death by like the guard bees for being drunks. What? That's a lot like human behavior. <laughs> but here's the funny thing as well, because we eat honey, you know, there's, there's, there's probably like, like drunk bee honey or something. Someone probably is marketing this somewhere, right? Because you can get honey that comes from all different types of flowers and yeah, of course, plants yeah. and pollen and, you know, it tastes quite different. People, so we have um, a local honey thing here in New York. So there's this guy that goes around and has beehives all over the city. Okay. And he markets honey um, that comes from super micro, hyper local neighborhoods. Like there's probably a Williamsburg one. And people eat it because they think it helps with allergies, with seasonal allergies, because it comes from the pollen. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. My wife yeah. does this. I like, you know, you get the honey, you get a little bit of the honeycomb in it. Yeah. I like that. I chew on that. It's good with ice cream like, as a dessert. <gasps> honey on ice cream? Yeah. Who the fuck? Who was it? Was it you got the honey on a pizza? Yeah, it's good. Well, yeah, no. Nice. Well, okay, hold on. Okay. You're, you're, you're in Brooklyn. This is the home of Mike's Hot Honey on pizza. That's actually a thing. Okay, okay. People argue that pineapple shouldn't be on a pizza. Honey on a pizza is shit. Pineapple on pizza is a sin. Honey on pizza is shit. It's shit. It just ruined it. I think it's quantity. If it's like a tiny little bit, especially this hot honey stuff, I'm telling you, it's, I'm going to take you out for... Okay, the rules of pizza are very Roberta's, simple. Roberta's. You have dough and you have tomato, and you have cheese, and then maybe some vegetables, and maybe some meat. You don't have honey, you don't have pineapple, you don't have apple, you don't have carrot. There's I like mean, if you want to get really weird, you know, I lived in Japan for a little while when I was in college, and they do corn, they do mayonnaise, they do like seafood, they do crazy shit. Seafood pizza. pizza. It's actually a little better than it sounds. It sounds gross. Um, have you, do you know what a calzone is? Yeah, it's like a popular yeah, thing yeah. in New York. Does that it's count? Because like it's... it's it's a pizza sandwich. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting. Like where, where do you draw the line? Like where do you, how do you define pizza? Right? Like what is and isn't pizza? I think if they don't make it in Italy, it's just a butcher oh, That's pizza. the DOC, like the proper, I think it's called DOC. The have, proper, you, have you had a pizza in Italy? Oh yeah, of course. And have we you, have, we have, you know, a handful of places here that have this DOC certification. I may be getting that wrong, right? Okay. The proper oven, the proper ingredients. Yeah. It's still not the same. So, I remember before I went to Italy, somebody said, oh, you wait till you have the pizzas there. They're like next level. I'm like, true. yeah, sure. But honestly, how can it be that different? And then I went and I had a pizza. I was like, fuck me, yeah. this is unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, it's like having sushi in Japan for the first time. It is like truly a different experience. It's like having a steak in Texas. Um, or it's like having a kebab in Bedford. I look forward to visiting and trying it. There's a kebab shop in Donegal where my dad lived and it was called Abra Kebabra. <laughs> That's a good name. Um, we're, we, we're used to like New York style pizza here, right? So it's like very different. I think like 
probably Italian style pizza is more common in Europe and probably more common in the UK as well. But here it's... What's the place? Is it Lombardi's? Yeah. I think that place is overrated. Everyone's like, oh, you got to go to Lombardi's. And I went to Lombardi's and queued up like a dickhead for 30 minutes again and I had a pizza. I was like, nah, that's average. What's your... What about like Chicago deep dish? Are you into that style? Uh, the, yes, but the problem is you, you, like each slice is like a whole meal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I actually think the great thing about New York is the $1 slices of pizza yeah. you can get are usually fucking excellent. So listen, here's the really tragic thing. Um, they're pretty much gone because of inflation. So most of these places, it's now about $25, buck fifty. I did see one one dollar slice a week or two ago and I was like, oh thank God it still exists. But like, but this has been like a big try a big topic. No. But but you're right, they're they're among the best, right? This has been a big topic in the like New York pizza community is, is the inflation and how it's like destroyed the dollar pizza slice. Well it's like the pound shops in the UK. Yeah. All the all yeah, these yeah, yeah. all these shops they've branded themselves as Poundland or 99 pieces. Dollar store. Tree, Dollar General. They're, yeah. they're $2 for everything now. Yeah, so they can't, they can't do it anymore. So here we are. We've, we've come full circle. We're talking about inflation. We're back to, back yeah. to Bitcoin. We've made it, we've made it relevant. Um, I really hope the pizza topic makes it, by the way, because this is an important topic. This, is, this, is, this will go in. Good. I All mean, right. we don't have to talk about it. We can talk about what the fuck we want. Just well, tr- trigger some people. They'll be like, what are you going to talk about Bitcoin? And he better not talk about shit coins. I want to hear about the, the football club. How's, how's that going? Uh, it's off season at the moment. So we're right. preparing for next season. So you're going to launch with the new branding and the new everything. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it was a very messy first few months because it took some time to get control of the club. Won't go into that, but that was painful. And not having control of the club meant we couldn't make all the decisions we wanted. Um, learn. I'm glad I did it, though. I'm glad I didn't learn. I'm glad I had a few months to learn all the shit that you do wrong. Yeah before the season starts. Um, it's like a soft start, kind of. Yeah, so for example, throwing money at a team doesn't work. Um, you have to get the right players, the right culture. Uh, there's a team who finished second called Amptil. They, I don't know if they pay any of their players. I think they play some, but they're a group of friends who've been together for years, and they came, I think they came second or third. Uh, we mm. had some quite expensive players. We just not did. We just didn't have the spirit and the fight. Do you know what this is? It's it's missionaries versus mercenaries. We talk a lot about this in yeah. like open source software and the blockchain space. Like turning dollars into good code and functioning products is really hard for the same reason. People who have their heart and soul in something are gonna gonna perform better at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I mean, we have it with this. Like right. this is this is a mission. Like we yeah. hang out, we fly out together, we make a product, and it works because we're a team. And I think it's the same with the football club. So yeah, uh, uh, fired the manager at the end of the season. Thanked him, mm. did a good job. But you want your guy. Uh, we found a guy, brilliant guy called Rob Sinclair. He used to play professional football for Stevenage, which isn't far from me. Yeah. They're, um, I think they've been as high as League One. Uh, and Forest Green Rovers, a super interesting club. This, do you know much about Forest Green, Danny? No, not really. Are they the vegan club? They're the vegan club, right? Speaking of vegans. <laughs> no, but what the, the interesting thing is, for all football clubs fucking suck or struggle with money generally. They suck at finance because the problem is is player wages control everything. And if you want if you if you want to win the league or get promoted, you kind of always have to have at least a top five, six budget within that league. Right. The budget doesn't guarantee promotion. But having the lowest budget in the league probably guarantees you don't get promotion and you might get relegated. How so, many teams are there in each league? It's like 10 or 12, right? No, no, it's usually like 20. I see. Right. Yeah, some, I think some are like so 20. So if you're in the top like quartile or something, you're, yeah. you're in, terms of, in terms of budget. Yeah, you've got to be to, to, have, to have a chance. Yeah. Um, but, but budget doesn't guarantee success. So for example, right. Ryan Reynolds bought Wrexham and they finished, I think, second in their division 
went into the playoffs and got knocked out. And they had a massive budget. They're great sponsors. They're interested in money. They're playing some guy, I think, like seven grand a week, which is huge for the division they're in. And they just lost it. And so they're not going up. So money doesn't guarantee it. And that was a, that was a big early lesson. So, But I found this manager. He was, oh, no, I was talking about Forest Green. So the thing that Forest Green have done, they have a thing. So they're a football club, but their thing is they're the vegan club. Now, obviously, that's not one for many Bitcoiners sure. who would want the dead cow club. <laughs> the, but, the anti-vegan club. The anti but, but he is an environmentalist. He made his money in um, renewable energies, and uh, he's made them a vegan club. They only serve vegan food at the club, and they are an environmentally focused club. But because of that, it's a tiny little, it's almost like a village where they are. Yeah. Um, but what they've managed to do is create this group of people who follow them because they're vegans. They've got a thing. Like we have the Bitcoin thing. So we have a group of people around the world who follow us because of the Bitcoin thing. And I think that's going to be a yeah. thing for yeah. some clubs. Yeah. I mean, Forest Green are now up into uh, League One. They're two below the Premier League. So it's a village. So if you've got a thing, you you've got you can create identity and create support around that. It thing. almost doesn't matter what the thing is. I was reading there, there's a baseball team here, the American version. I hope I get this right. Called the Savannah Bananas. I'm assuming this is like Savannah, Georgia. And what they do is they dance. Okay. They have some coordinated. You I know, saw they, a they, video of this on Instagram today. Professional dancers. So their first baseman is like a professional ballet dancer or something. And I'm assuming there's some sort of um, choreographed something. And it's it's silly, but it works, right? They have a huge hand, fan following. If it works, so. But we got this manager, and he's he's great. Yeah. And he came in the first thing he did. He slashed our budget. He said it's too much money. I said I want this. It's it, it it's it will give me one of the best budgets in the division, but it forces me to find players who want to play for the club. It gets right. rid of the mercenaries. Right. Right. I was like, okay, cool. And we've signed, I've seen, we think we've signed about 13 players. We've nearly got a whole squad together. Uh, training starts on the 23rd of this month, so essentially three weeks away. Our preseason starts at the start of July. We've got eight preseason friendlies. I fucking cannot wait. And literally every day it's like, there's no football today, this is shit. <laughs> uh, and then our season starts August 6th. Okay, August 6th. I'm confident that we will be up near the top or thereabouts. Um, I mean, we, we will be one of the favorites to win it. I hope we win it, but we will be one of the favorites. Uh, but this off-season, dude, it sucks. I'm yeah. like, I'm fucking wanting the football on. And this other interesting thing that's happened, complete flip, Liverpool, my team I support, yeah, yeah. Uh, they'd won two trophies. They were on for the quadruple. It's never been done to win all four trophies. Sorry, ignorant American. What are yep. the four trophies? So the Premier League. Okay, that one I know. Okay, the Euro Cup is one I assume. Uh, the the Champions League, Champions which is League. the European. Right. So if you win the if you're in the top four in the Premier League, you go into the Champions yeah. League um, in Europe. The FA Cup, which is the cup that every team in the country plays in, even Bedford will play in it. Gotcha. And then the League Cup is just the teams in the first gotcha. four divisions. So gotcha. they won the League Cup. They won the FA Cup. They missed out on the league on the last day of the season by like a point, and they lost in the Champions League final. And when they lost the Champions League final, I was obviously disappointed, but I was like, eh, okay, and just went home, didn't think about it. When Bedford lost in a game that didn't even matter right, right. to Letchworth Garden City in front of 20 people, I was like, this fucking bullshit. I like ruined my day. This is skin in the game. This is, yeah, this is, this is, why, this is why buying your first 10, 15, $30 of Bitcoin doesn't matter, like changes everything skin for you. Because right? you feel like you have, you have skin in the game. You're a part of you invested in the thing. The team, yeah. the project, whatever it is. But it's an interesting thing on the on the Bitcoin side of things. It's made me, it's put me back in that space where I realize 
how far, like if you think of the Bitcoin rabbit hole, how far we're down it, but if you're not at the edge of the rabbit yeah. hole yet, you don't know shit. Like, you know what it's like? It's like having a baby. It's like having a baby. It's, it's, there's a before and an after. We'll come and to and that. You, can't, you can't describe it adequately to someone who hasn't experienced it themselves. So interestingly, one of my best friends, I keep bringing him up on this show. So the guy's married to the Russian. He said to me, he said, and he's never done it. He said, I'm going to write a book one day. It's called How to Have Your First Baby Like It's Your Second. <laughs> That's brilliant. I would have read it. You just had a baby, right? Yeah. How long ago? Two weeks, three days. Just two, happened. Two, three weeks. Okay. How much shit have you bought in advance? Uh, books. Books, I mean, clothes. Oh, yeah, we, we got lucky. We got gifted a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so we actually didn't buy that much. But yeah, I mean, you know, yes, strollers, car seats, outfits, bottles, breastfeeding equipment. Uh, and there's more. like Radios. CCTV. Yeah. And, and the, the only thing that bothers me about it is the waste because a lot of the stuff, I mean, I don't, maybe we'll have another one, but like a lot of it can't be used. Again, some of it can't even be handed down, you know, like breast pump equipment. I don't, it's probably never a topic that's been covered on your show before, but it turns out you can't give it to anyone later. I'm telling you, there'll be some fucking weirdo who'll buy that eBay. There'll be some weirdo who'll give me that breast pump. Is it an electric <laughs> pump or a hand pump? Electric. The problem with the electric ones, you sit there, you're like, you're like, yeah. Have you got that? Oh God, this is really personal. Have you got that because you're going to do some of the night feeds? Uh, yeah, yeah. So my wife is pumping at night right now. And yeah, I mean, the baby at this age needs to be fed every uh, like two and a half to three hours pretty, pretty often. So Me and my ex-wife had a deal. She used to do the week because right, I was at right, work right, and right. I would do the weekend. Right. And she had the we'll, pump. We'll probably end up doing something like that. She'll do daytimes, I'll do nights, something like that. I used to not want to hang around when she was doing the, the milk pumping. It's just one of those things I, I used to leave to herself. But, but the, the reason being is like, we bought all that shit as well. Like yeah. everything, yeah. fucking everything. Yeah. Baby shit everywhere. And then when my daughter was born, I bought one pack of baby grows. That's it. Because I was like, we've got the car seat yeah. from my right. son. Yeah. Okay. So it's like, well, a baby's going to come out and all we need to do is dress it. The baby came out, we dressed it. I then went straight down to this. We have this uh, chain called Next. It's um, just like, it's a clothing store. Yeah. And I just went in, because she came out as pink, I went and bought all the girl stuff. Just bought everything. Can I, can I ask you a silly question? Did you know the, the sex of your kids before they were born? No. So I didn't, we didn't either. Wow. And that's very un This is very rare here. Yeah. Like everybody does. And people are shocked when I told them that it was a surprise, actually. I don't, like, like it's very rare in our lives that we get to queue up an exciting surprise for ourselves. And I like, know. I was like, and also it makes no difference to me. I don't care. I don't care. They were like, oh, so if your son, you know, if we gift you pink clothes and your son ends up wearing pink, I'm like, I don't care. It's fine. What's like, what we needed two names. That was the only downside. I mean, I, w I wouldn't have dressed my son in pink. That's slightly different. <laughs> but I, I, the, the reason I tell, I, like, everyone should do what they want. Yeah. I always say to people, the, re the reason why we didn't, the reason why we didn't is when you don't know, you, you, you're always talking about it and you have two names yeah, and you go yeah. back and forth. It's yeah. like, is it a boy? Is it yeah. a girl? When you know, people get a bit weird about it. I, I remember once I went to a hairdresser's, got my hair cut and afterwards the, the lady where I was paid, she was pregnant. She's like six months pregnant. I was like, oh cool, how long have you got to go? She's like, oh yeah, Toby comes in three months. I was like, that's fucking weird. Like you've got totally attached yeah, to this yeah, baby yeah. and you've given it a name and things can go wrong. Yeah. So, you know, the other thing people do here is they do baby showers. I don't know if you guys do this in the UK. They pop a balloon. Baby showers and gender reveals. These oh, both yeah. happen oh, in God. that last kind of like trimester, like leading up to the birth. But it's the same thing. We, we talked about it and we were like, we don't want to do that until the baby is here and healthy and safe. Yeah. 
uh, I, I, um, I think that, firstly, I fucking gender reveals, you see them on social media, they make me want to punch myself in the yeah. face. Yeah. Um, interestingly, when my ex-wife got pregnant with my son, uh, we found out the day before I first ever came to New York. No kidding. Yeah, so she was sick. She's sick for age, you know, for a few days, and she's like, oh, better go to the doctors. And so I went to the doctors, and she came out. She said, yeah, no, I'm not sick, um, but I'm pregnant. I was like, oh, fuck. So it's like a total surprise, unplanned. Unplanned, uh, I see. Yeah, and yeah, the yeah, next, yeah. yeah, I mean, we'd yeah. only been together six yeah. months, and the next day I got on a plane and went to New York, New York. Stayed on the Lower East Side. It's 2002, a uh, year after 9-11. Uh, they were still cleaning out the yeah, site. Yeah, I remember. I yeah. remember. It was still, there was still smoke coming smoke, out of it. Yeah, I remember, yeah. Like a year later. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and I, I remember I had a huge phone bill because I was like phoning her every day because it was, you know, I was 24, she yeah, was back, 23. Back then, these international calls used to actually cost something. It cost a lot. Yeah. I, I got like a 400, like $600 yeah. phone bill. Actually, to be honest, then it was like $2 to the pounds. It was like an $800 phone bill for a week. But yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, fuck, congratulations, man. Thank you. Well, I want to ask you uh, another silly question, which is like, because okay. your kids are teenagers now, right? Like 18 yeah. and 12. Looking, okay, so... Does 12 count as a teenager? No. Yes. 13 is when it starts, yeah. right? Do you, know, you, know, you know how you know? It's got the teen yeah. in the word. <laughs> well, they do call them tweenagers now. Twins. Tweenagers. The 12 year olds are tweenagers. Because basically, I think like kids are growing up quicker, so they turn into mm. a dick earlier. Yeah, and they go through puberty younger. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a lot of scary shit going on. This also, by the way, has to do with probably the foods we're eating and the stuff in it. I think actually, I think it's a lot to do with uh, media and social media. They've got, yeah, they're just exposed to so much grown up shit early on. Um, yeah, my daughter, I don't allow her much social media. Yeah. She's not allowed Instagram or any of that. But is, is that hard, by the way? Yes. She probably faces peer pressure right from her Absolutely. classmates. All her friends are on Instagram. Yeah. But if you listen to the Jonathan Haidt show with uh, Joe Rogan, where he talks about, because he wrote, uh, did he write The Coddling of the American Mind? I know he that wrote. That sounds the, correct. I think so. Yeah. But he did a he did a whole session where, they, and they had the charts up. And they talked about a massive rise in self harm and right. um, and suicides. And on the chart, it was literally when social media came yeah, around. Yeah, and, and among especially young women, right? This yeah. is also what came out of the, the Facebook stuff last year with the whistleblower. Exactly. So it's no, it's no Instagram. Uh, she can have TikTok, and I police it. And how do you how do you actually do this? You just do you somehow control that. Oh, pointing at a phone. Maybe she's too young to have a phone. She's got a phone. She's got a phone, yeah. Yeah, like when you're divorced, it's best the kids have a phone so they can stay in touch. It's just a no, but, you know, um, I don't know how long I'll be able to right. cope with it, but you, right. you've got some time on that one. Yeah. Well, listen, by the time my son is your daughter's age, we're going to be dealing with the metaverse and all this kind of shit. You know, like I, I, some, someone phrased this recently. They said something like, look, I'm struggling already with screen time with my kids, which is kind of what we're talking about. The thought of like policing their metaverse time or whatever it is in 10 years is, is terrifying. But the, the incredible thing is even when they're young and you leave an iPad out, the speed at which they learn oh, to swipe and use yeah. that shit's incredible, like yeah. before they can talk. So there is some benefits, yeah. but it's just, it's, there's just managing it. But the management, the best way to manage it, it comes down to you giving them more time. Because if you rather don't, than you, the other way around, you don't want to titrate down. You want to like be, yeah. You've got you've got to take them away from yeah. it. So like with my kids, it's like we go out for a walk. Everyone leaves their phone at home. We go out for dinner. Right. Everyone leaves it. And it's probably about setting an example as well, right? Because so many of us parents will bring our devices to the dinner table with us, for example. Yeah, like you're like holding yours. You're like switch your fucking phone off. But yeah, I mean, I'm a complete hypocrite. I actually have two phones now because of that. So I have a, uh, a work phone and family time phone. That's smart. I've not got into using it properly, but the family time phone has no apps on it. Yeah. It's just got you know, phone calls. So, uh, what, what was it you're going to? I was going to ask, what is the one or two things 
that you know now that you wish you had known when you were a new, like a, like a first time parent kind of? Oh, it's a good question. Um, that's what I'd know. Oh, that's a good question. What you wish you'd known, yeah. Well, or, or what I'd done differently. What I'd known. I mean, I'm not too worried about what I'd known because you just figure it out. Yeah. Like, you know, life is what it is. What I'd wish I'd done differently. Uh, I wish I'd never got divorced. I mean, I, I got divorced for terrible reasons, but like, I wish I'd had known what to do to stop that happening mm. because I think the family unit for a child is so important yeah. and that's definitely had consequences for both my children. My, my parents were divorced as well, by the way. And yeah. I feel like children of divorced parents are more likely to get divorced. So I'm, you know, fingers crossed. I'm going to try not to. Yeah, th I mean, I wish that hadn't happened. But what, what would I have known? Um, I was definitely young and I wish I'd... I, I'm, like, if I had kids now, I think I would do a far better job. It's fun being a young parent to a 18-year-old because right. right. we're into the same, a lot of the same shit, yeah. right? Yeah. But I think as an older parent, you come with, like, more experience and wisdom. Yeah. What do I wish I'd known? Um, I mean, I could say I wish I'd known how expensive it would be. Mm. But, like, again, you figure that out. People of all yeah. different budgets have to... I, I can't even answer that. I think the, the number one thing I get from sort of parents who either have older kids or multiple kids is like that they're pretty sturdy, right? They're not going to fall apart. And yep. if they, they, you know, scratch themselves or they're crying, like just chill out, it's going to be okay. Because, you know, with, with a first time newborn, you're, you're pretty terrified. You kind of feel like, you know, cause they are so vulnerable in the very beginning. I'll tell you what, my, I know. And this, this is a huge cliche. I wish I'd realized how quickly it goes. Because people say it goes quickly. You're, you're there with a newborn. Yeah. You think it doesn't go quickly. My son's 18. He's going to leave home in the yeah. next few months. He's, you said he's traveling in the summer or something, right? Uh, he's got like, uh, yeah, trips planned, but it's yeah. just gone like that. Yeah. And, and like, I remember the day he was born clearly. I remember yeah. being given him, yeah. looking at this yeah. child, and we're here 18 years late, and it just goes. And I have not given them as much time as I probably should have. Because you get busy with work. Yeah. And yada, they, yada. Say, they say no parent ever goes to the grave wishing they'd spent less time with their kids or less time with their family. Yeah. And I think that's why, that's why they spend lots of time with their grandchildren. Right. But, uh, <laughs> that's but, true. but I wish I'd appreciated how quickly it goes. Yeah. Um, another thing I'd say is it's always fun and always difficult, but for different reasons. Mm. Like a baby is fun because it's just new, but then it's difficult because you might not get much sleep. And right. then a toddler's cool because you see them learn to talk right. and run around but it's difficult because they're always trying to kill themselves right and then a you know it go all the way up to a teenager like an 18 year old is cool because they're like genuinely starting to figure the world out yeah but they're painting the ass because they're discovering alcohol and other things yeah. it's just it always changes and my dad said a really good thing to me once he said just so you know p you never stop parenting because i was having a problem with my son yeah. i was like what do you mean i was like like, I still parent you. He's like, Dad, I don't come for you for anything anymore. He's like, he was like, you're literally coming to me right now <laughs> for an issue with Connor. I was like, oh, yeah. He's like, he said, whatever happens, you know, I'm always 30 years ahead of you. Yeah. So whatever you're going through, I went through it 30 years ago. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's a really interesting point. But honestly, man, it's just the most fun. I wish I'd had more kids. I genuinely, I, I wish I'd had more. I wish, because I've got a son and a daughter. I mean, that's... To many people, that is the ideal, is you know, one of each, right? Yeah, uh, but they're different. Um, my son is like you were, and I think as speaking to other parents, it's similar. Like my daughter, she gets her uh, uniform ready before she goes to bed. She gets her homework done when she comes in. 
for my birthday, I wake up and there are balloons and presents. Like my son, like you wake him up and he eventually gets out of bed and like then he's like throwing a sock against the wall and drifting downstairs. <laughs> and on your birthday, he's like, oh, is it your birthday? Like it's different. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't worry about him going out. I worry about my daughter going out because I just know blokes can be dicks. Yeah. Um, you know, and that kind of, there's this kind of, not everyone, but there's a certain layer of misogyny that exists in the world of For sure. Bitcoin. Yeah. It does. I mean, Whatever it's, it's almost, say, even, even if Bitcoiners are not necessarily misogynistic and certainly not intentionally, simply by virtue of the fact that it is such a masculine community, it's almost inevitable. In but some ways. I'm not saying everyone is, but I right. just see certain things. Yeah. Like just like certain, like some guy tweeting the other day about girls going to university is stupid. If you're a good parent, she's wasting her time. She's wasting years that she could be rearing a child. It's like, just fuck off. You know, and, and, you, once you have a daughter, you really mm. appreciate the different world yeah. they go into. Yeah. And as much as the world has moved on and tried to create a yeah. fairer world for girls, you still notice yeah. the difference. You still have a daughter comes home and says, Dad, why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Uh, and and that, there's still that element where a young girl feels like it's harder for her mm. than a boy. And I'm happy to talk about that, despite the fact that, you know, I, uh, when I interviewed President Bukele recently, some uh, I asked him about the patriarchy because it's even worse in El Salvador because yeah. the patriarchy in, in Central and South America is is more significant and there's significant violence. So I right. asked him about it, and some guy on YouTube is like, "Oh fuck off with your gender bullshit." It's like, well, hold on a second, like I'm not being a weirdo about this. I'm just saying I have a daughter. I understand what it's like. You're a man. You don't understand what it's like until and unless maybe you have a daughter. I think yeah. That's, yeah. So we're just shit at em empathy in general, especially other genders and. Yeah, I think it's because there's been so much weird stuff on the kind of like gender or so much forced equality and like weird forced equality that sometimes people push back a bit. But you start to appreciate that with a girl, um, but also with a boy. Now these pressures that you see for girls, they say these pressures for girls to look good. Well, they actually exist for a boy now. You know, for a young boy, he sees on social media right. guys with six packs and pecs and you know tattoos, yeah. and, and, and they want that. So it does exist for both as well, in a different way, but it exists for both. But look, all I would say is like you can worry about everything, but also you can have so much fucking fun. Like, I imagine what, what did you say two weeks ago? Yeah. I imagine he's already changed in two weeks. He has. In fact, when you were mentioning how quickly they grow up, I was going to tell you, I looked at a photo of him the day we brought him home, which was just over two weeks ago. And he already looks, especially at that age, you know, because the facial structure changes, the eye color changes, the hair, everything changes very rapidly at that age. And I was blown away by how much he'd already grown in, in two weeks. It's well, crazy. I, I do wish I had more. I have a son and a daughter, and I can't imagine a son who isn't Connor. And I can't imagine a daughter who isn't Scarlett. And I, and, and and I wish I'd got to see that. Just like, oh yeah, this this can be this whole other boy or girl, and they're different. And you've got some time left. No, I do. Listen, <laughs> listen. <laughs> my, my my dad was sixty when I was born, which is which is you know relatively extreme. Well, didn't didn't uh, what's his name? The F one guy. Who's the F one? Silvio Berlusconi. No, no, that's the uh, president <laughs> of Italy. Italian prime minister. Uh, but I think he had a child. Like, no, who's the um, I know who you mean, F1. but I don't know his name. Didn't he have but a child? Really like 90 or something. He was like 92. Like, firstly, congratulations. Right, seriously. That's, well done, mate. That's well good. Done. Good. Yeah. Good How many people do you think were helping? Was he 92? <laughs> was he 92 when he got I, I don't know. I could be wrong. I don't know his name. So I can't. There's a slight issue at that age because basically you, your chance of seeing them right. even make double figures is low. I mean, even, even 60, you know, by the time I was 
conscious of my dad's age. He was already in his 70s. Is he still alive? Yeah. How old is he now? 99. Fucking hell. I'm 39, yeah. Your dad is 99. When's, when's he 100? You can't really say, don't, don't dox his birthday. A- April next year. April next year. Yeah. It's not the 28th, is it? <laughs> I'm not going to dox his exact <laughs> yeah. birthday. Uh, in the UK, if you reach 100, you get a letter from so the Queen. You used to hear from the president. I think they may have stopped doing it recently because there's too many now. There's too many. <laughs> I wonder if it's, well, UK is a smaller country, but. <laughs> yeah, you get a letter from Actually, the Queen. Actually, speaking of, you know, the Queen's, you're too younger than my dad. She's getting up there too, right? I mean, the, the, is your dad single? We can try and hook him up. It was Bernie Eccleston. He was 89. 89. 89. Man, one, I hope I'm still alive at 89. <laughs> Two, if I am, I hope I'm still active. And isn't she like 40 or something? I mean, she's a lot younger than him. Well, obviously. I mean, there's much more you know, biological restrictions <laughs> on the mother's age than the father's age. Yeah. Is your dad, got, is he a mobile dad? Is he up and about? Yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, for his age, he's doing super well. I was with him just before coming over here. Fun fact, he's a Bitcoiner. Is he? I um, gave him copies of all of uh, Antonopoulos' books back around 2016, 2017, when I was first like deep diving on Bitcoin, posted, uh, like tweeted a photo of him holding internet of money. Oh man. Uh, and said he, you know, at that, whatever he was, what is it, 99, he was probably 96 or something at that point, 95. And he's probably one of the oldest Bitcoiners alive. Does he shitcoin? No, uh, I think he only holds Bitcoin. So where did you go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, I have a higher risk appetite because I'm younger. You know, he's uh, he's a pensioner, so. So I'm actually in the I'm essentially in the grandparent potential zone now because yeah. my son yeah, is. Isn't uh, that crazy? Is, is the, uh, yeah, because you mean, had, you were a young father, so. Yeah, I mean, I hope I, ho- I hope I've got some years ahead, but accidents happen. I'm like in that zone where it's a possibility. Yeah, I, I'm I'm slightly younger younger than you. If I'm three years four years younger than you, if I remember correctly, and. I'm old enough to be a grandfather too. I did that math recently and I was yeah, but like, you don't, had, you don't have a child viable of making children. Fair, fair. What I mean is I have a child yeah. viable of yeah. making children. Yeah. Like he could come home one day and say, yeah, dad, look, uh, I got this girl pregnant and it's a possibility and it's, it doesn't scare me actually. It doesn't scare me. The only, the only thing that scares me is the fact that I am a fucking granddad. Or potential. Yeah. Potential. But like. You'd, you'd get to do it all over again. So. I maybe would. you don't have more kids, but maybe you get to have some he, grandkids. He is not ready to have children yet. <laughs> Please don't. Were, were, were you ready? I mean, is anyone ready when they're young? You know. No, but I tell you what, it did change. Like I literally, when it happened, I was like, "That happens." By the way, it's happening to me right now. Yeah, Got to get my shit together. Yeah, and I feel I, that way right now. And I, and I, I've worked hard ever since, and my children, yeah, appreciate and know that. But I think it's one of the best things for us as. Like it, the, the forcing function, the way it forces us to, to grow the hell up and mature. I mean, I, I, again, I'm going through this process as we speak and it's super positive. I, I, I feel way more ready to kind of commit and focus and buckle down and just be an adult. Yeah. I mean, all I'll say, like I said, you just can have a lot of fun. It is fun. Um, you de- I mean, you do what you want to do, but you definitely want more than one. You, you, you want a unit. Of, yeah. It kind of, it's weird. It kind of gets easy with more than one because you become this functioning unit. Right. Well, I feel like I have to think about it in terms of marginal cost. Like going from zero to one is, is huge, but going from one to two or two to three is like marginally much less of a lift. You know what I mean? I tell you what I wish I'd have done. When by, both of my kids were born, right, uh, I set up a direct debit into a bank account of 50 pound a month, just 50 pound a month. And by the time they're whatever, 18 or 20, there's going to be, you know, what's that? 600 pound a year, uh, six, 12 maybe 14,000 pounds, 15,000 pounds with interest. And that was always to say, when you finish yeah. school, you can go traveling around the world yeah. and you've got the money for it. You've got a gap year nest yeah. egg type thing, yeah. I wish I'd put that in Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? I mean, that, they would be billionaires. Probably. I mean, 
it started my daughter's in 2010. 50, 50 well, she's the same age as Bitcoin, more or less, right? She is. Because your son was born before Bitcoin. Do you know I was born on the my birthday's the um, white paper day? <laughs> I've totally doxxed myself. I've said that. <laughs> I mean, people know my birthday's Halloween, but... They don't know the year, though, so... Should, should, should we actually talk about crypto? We've done bees and babies so far. Yeah, bees, bees and babies. You're always going to have the fucking comments on the YouTube. The third bee, Bitcoin. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? I came here for Bitcoin. Fucking no, but it is connected, right? Because oh. I mean, everything's connected to Bitcoin, but yeah. specifically regarding, um, I don't know, like saving for the future, financial planning, yeah. stable if, coins. Yes. If you're going to have a children, if you're going to have children and want to save for them, do not put your money into Luna. <laughs> Good advice. Good or, advice. Or whatever, whatever the Luna equivalent is, the, the, the Ponzi scheme of the year in five, 10 years. All right. Be honest about this. Did you know Luna was fucked? Before. Before it was fucked. No is a very strong word. Um, Did you hold any? No. Do you believe no. him? The, mm, yeah. So two reasons. Yeah. So the first is I'm just too busy and I've like mostly, I mean, I was going to say I've mostly stopped shitcoining. I mean, I, you know, I'm still active in like Ethereum and, and Space Mesh, but, um, but not so much new stuff because I'm, I'm too busy. And I have a good excuse now with, with a child. Yeah. Um, but, you know, something about it rubbed me the wrong way. And I think it was in retrospect, a couple of things, these things are always easy to, easy to talk about in retrospect, but the first is the, um, the relentless shilling, the marketing on the part of, you know, Do Kwan, the founder, and there's just something about it, like, like really good, like no one shills Bitcoin. You don't need to, because the product speaks for itself, right? It's kind of like, it's solid, it works, it does what it's supposed to do. I mean, this is very much the approach we're taking in Space Mesh. Um, what, what did we say yesterday about marketing Bitcoin is, uh, is it's like a multi-level marketing scheme. <laughs> you said that. <laughs> yeah, well, it, but it is. You kind of recruit people and then they recruit people. Yeah. I, as I was saying it just now, I was hesitating because we do shill Bitcoin. I'm trying to think what the difference is. It's like, here's the difference. There is a... We shill the benefits of Bitcoin. He shills a company. So that's a company. But what I was going to say is there's um, a numerator and a denominator. Okay. So the numerator is like the, uh, the volume of your shillery, right? of your, 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 um, yeah, like how, how, how much noise you make. And the, the, the denominator is the actual substance of a network, right? And Bitcoin is a very low, which is, which is good, right? So you have relatively low noise. I should have said signal to noise ratio, but you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, like yeah. There's, there's a lot of substance and there's relatively less noise. A project like Terra, there's an enormous amount of noise and very little substance. And to me that somehow you, you just, you get a sense of that, right? It, it feels like it lacks integrity. Um, and the other thing, by the way, that just shouted at me was this like, quote unquote, guaranteed 20% APY. I mean, that's, that was the one. This is, this is the main reason I didn't invest in it because it just, it sounds too good to be true. And what, you know, I'm old enough to know that if it sounds good, too good to be true, especially if in a financial instrument, it's too good to be true. So I, w I was on Pump Show and some guy asked, uh, some guy, Pump asked me about it. And I, I hadn't, I hadn't, uh, I didn't know anything about, because I don't use stable coins. I've never used stable coin because I've never had a need. But I'm not opposed to them. I actually have become more of a supporter of them yeah. because of Alex Gladstein talking yeah. about Palestinians using yeah. them and how actually they're more important than Bitcoin in some uh, jurisdictions. So I support uh, stable coins, and I've even I've even kind of taken my kind of like "fuck you" shitcoin protocols uh, attitude. I've kind of like dialed it back because I'm like, well, hold on. That's where these stable coins are at the moment. If right. that is good for right. if that is good for people living in shitty situations, and great. But I, I was just not aware of 
Luna, I was not aware of Terra because it's just not in my kind of like uh, field of view. To be fair, there's a lot of stable coins. Yeah. Uh, I only became I only became aware where uh, I, I saw this thing. Do Kwan is committed to buying ten billion dollars of Bitcoin. I was like, oh, right. who's that? And didn't even right. pay attention. And then I I was seeing the buying, and it was something to do with a stablecoin. Again, I didn't pay attention. Then Pomp, I was in Miami and went on Pomp show, and he asked me about it. I was like, I I don't know anything about it. Explain it to me, and he did. And the twenty the twenty percent concerned me, but I was like, I. I I wasn't like I was like, oh, I foresee this was going to crash. I wasn't, I just didn't. But some guy emailed me afterwards and said, listen, you're totally wrong about Terra Luna. I heard big, you mention this. Big long email yeah. uh, with links in it, yeah. reading about it. And I think that's maybe where I saw the 20%. And I, I replied to her, I said, look, the 20%, that's a high number. Like that has to come from somewhere. We went back and forth. And I was yeah. like, okay, whatever. And then literally a week later, he emails me and goes, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, man. Because <laughs> it totally crashed. But the point in it was, I could not foresee it happening like some people did. Well, so like Nick, Nick Carter did. I mean, there's you know, a handful of like... Lynn Alden did. Contrarians. Yep, Lynn wrote about it, I think, right yeah. in one of her... But I'm, I'm not smart enough. And yeah. the thing I realized when this guy sent me all these articles yeah. and things I was reading through, I was like, how the fuck but this, do this I figure is, this, this out? This is the other thing, right? Is that if you and I can't look at a white paper or an article or something and like feel confident that, you know, maybe we don't understand every intricate detail of a project, but you just get a sense that this makes sense, right? On some level, right? The, it passes the smell test, right? If it, if it doesn't, it's not to say that it will necessarily fail, but it's very risky, right? And so I tend not to sort of, like certainly not put personal money into things like that. Well, look, I, I can't tell you technically why Bitcoin works. I can't. Um, I can't tell you technically why any of these things work. You can give me all the detail. You can give me the uh, the, the white papers. I'm going to read them and go, wow, I don't know the stress test on this. I don't know whether it works. I just don't know. I rely on other people who are way smarter than me to do it. I'm just not that wired. I'm wired on the creator side. I'm not wired that way. And the thing about these things is, a lot of people put a lot of money into this and got fucked. Oh yeah, like, but the really crazy thing, by the way, is okay. There were VCs, you know, who put a lot into this, but there were also a lot of everyday folks in Korea, here, all over the world. And it's even worse than that because it was a stable, a quote unquote stable coin, right? So yeah. what that means is it attracted specifically a class of investor who maybe didn't want to invest in crazy shit coins, but like in you know just get like a quote unquote you know more stable. Yield. Are there people who lost money because they own Terra and uh, UST, and there's people who lost money because yeah. they owned Luna? Both. The two things, right? Both. Yeah. Um, I don't know the number, but I definitely went onto the Reddit and saw it. I want to know: did did anyone actually kill themselves from this? Because there was all reports of someone had attempted. Like, but you never really know. But I wonder if actually, like, people have actually. I read a news report about a young man who jumped off a building in Taiwan. I don't know if it was true or not. This yeah. was not, you know, New York Times even. I don't even know if we can trust the New York Times anymore, but I don't know. Well, lots of people invested in it. But I certainly hope not. There's going to be somebody somewhere yeah. who's remortgaged their house, put all their investment into it, yeah. and lost sure. all their fucking That money. always happens. And they're going to be shitting themselves because they've not told their wife, panicking because they can't pay their rent. There's going to be people in a very bad situation. Leverage is really, really, really dangerous. Yeah, and listen, look, we all have to take responsibility for our things. Like these people, you shouldn't put all your money in, and you shouldn't remortgage your house. But at the same time, I feel like these things should be stress tested. And this is where I can say something totally controversial that's going to piss off the anarchists. But some regulation yeah. is good. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 
securities test for SEC exists for a reason. Because you are making promises from a centralized entity about some kind of performance. Okay? So you have some responsibility behind that. And if you just have a free market for these things, a lot of people might get fucked. Now, I totally appreciate the idea. There's some people out there, no government regulation, the SEC makes everything onerous. I totally get that. I think the SEC does make everything onerous. I'm totally on the side of Hester Peirce, who pushes back on things. But at the same time, if you get rid of these regulations, it just mm. it's just a different environment, and I'm not sure some people are ready for it. Others are, but some aren't. Yeah, I, I've been really struggling with this question, and this has been a huge topic in the wake of of the the terror collapse for sure. Is like both on the governmental side, right? Because investigations have been launched in multiple countries, including in Korea, including here in the states, probably Singapore, other places as well, into the you know. And, and by the way, even before this, I, if I remember correctly, there were some calls here in the states for regulation of stablecoins specifically. They're, um, they're doing it in the UK. Yeah, and, and, and then also, but even within the crypto community, this has been a hot topic. I've seen a lot of friends and colleagues begin asking the same question. And I'm torn because I don't disagree with anything you just said, but I also, at the same time, don't trust the regulators to get this right. And no, I think I'm, that they're going to kill innovation, right? And so, you know, an alternative might be um, internal industry kind of self-regulation. And that, I know, hasn't worked terribly Come well. On, man. But it But it has worked in other industries. I think we should let turkeys self-regulate Christmas dinners. Yeah. Come on, man. Look, listen, look, we either have or we don't. I, I mean, I, I just think it's coming. But regulation is not a binary, right? It's, no, no. I just think it's coming. It's just, just regulation will come. Um, securities regulation exists. Michael Saylor is a far better person to listen to talk about it than me uh, when he talked to Rao Powell about it. He was savage in his explanation. Um, I just think it's coming. Look, if it looks, if it takes a form like the following, let's say you can't market something as a stable coin if it's not fully collateralized, number yes. one, right? Number two, there are, you know, there's a lot of FUD around Tether in particular, right? It's supposedly fully collateralized. They have released um, audits, you know, but there's a hodgepodge of things in there. There's yeah. five-ish billion out of 70-ish billion of you know, quote unquote, miscellaneous other assets, including crypto, it could be Bitcoin, right? So we don't actually know if it's truly fully collateralized. The accounting firm that did the audits is not KPMG, it's not Deloitte, it's some tiny little two-man shop in mm -hmm. Cayman or something. So, right, so so if, the, if, if stable coins, if there's reasonable regulation, I would totally support that. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm worried it won't look like that. Self-regulation would be good. And some of it's happened, like, for example, Kraken have done their proof of reserves. I think that's very cool. Agree. Okay, I, I love that. Uh, I think, I think, I think you can self-regulate and prove yourself to be better. USDC is fully backed, isn't it? Is yeah. By treasuries, right? I don't know if it's exclusively treasuries. It's but cash it's, and treasuries. Cash yeah. and treasuries. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's Circle. It's a legitimate American company. It's there's a network of banks. Yeah. It's fully audited. Um, my understanding is that the Gemini US dollar, the Binance US dollar, are all the same. Yeah, like, uh, and I just think when somebody explains a algorithmic stablecoin, I think somebody else is going to buy it. They're not going to really fully understand. They're just not going to get it. You need to be a gigabrain to like fully understand how they work. Imagine, imagine you're uh, in Palestine or you're in Lebanon or you're in Sri Lanka right now, and your only way to get dollars is digital dollars, and your economy's collapsed and you hailed UST. That was the one you had, just because that's the one you had access to. Yeah. You're already in a fucked yeah. situation. Your money's gone. Yeah. That to me is just sad. Now, there's two arguments like there is with everything. 
regulation is terrible, you're a status, da-da-da. Status cuck. Status cuck. But no regulation, there is a different side of risk. And I think both are valid sets of arguments. I think both are valid sets of arguments. Uh, I would love to see people self-regulate better. I also would love to get away from having centralized regulators. I also feel very sad when somebody has their yeah. entire net worth destroyed. No, both, both can be true. Yeah. Both are yeah. true. I think the interesting thing, and so here we have to get back to sort of the original vision of Bitcoin and the cypherpunks, right? Which is that, in a sense, Bitcoin and, and crypto in general is outside of any particular nation state system, which is to say it, it doesn't fall under the jurisdiction of any of the countries we just listed. And so what this means is that we're going to see lots of um, diversity in attempts to regulate it in different places. And I would argue that this is sort of a process of evolution playing out and it's a good thing, but there will still always be regulatory arbitrage, right? There will still be jurisdictions like Cayman and probably many others um, that just decide that crypto is invisible. It, there's no regulation of it whatsoever. And there will be projects that launch in those places. And by virtue, again, of being part of a decentralized global network like Bitcoin, I mean, okay, theoretically, you as a UK citizen, me as an American citizen, we're not, you know, allowed by our governments to, to own or trade or hold or whatever or market these uh, these products. But like at the end of the day, VPNs exist and, and you know, there's always ways around these things. Yes, you're completely right. P purely theoretical. Yes, yeah. Uh, but you are completely right. I just think we have a very weird industry. I, I wonder if any industry has ever had so much money thrown at so much failure. I think probably this is not I mean, it's, it's easy to feel like this is all the first time this is happening because maybe we're not old enough to remember when it happened before. But I think probably the dot-com bubble in 2000 felt very similar to this. There's a lot of money being thrown from some, you know, from some deep-pocketed VCs at a lot of failing projects. I mean, the, the what was it? The groceries uh, delivery oh, services and the, the, the dog uh, walking van, services. Uh, yeah. Pets.com and Webvan, was it? Webvan. Webvan. Yeah, that was like one of the classic ones. This yeah, Boo.com. Uh, my, my first ever job out of university was a dot-com called ecountries.com. It's fucking hilarious, right? I'd been learned in the summer, I uh, bought a book on HTML. And I spent the summer in High Wycombe learning HTML <laughs> for eight weeks. I go back to UD, I'm in my third year, and I put my name on a freelance board or somebody, yeah. and I could create basic web pages. Yeah. I create them in Dreamweaver. Do you remember Dreamweaver? I do. I'm old enough to remember. This is like the pre-JavaScript days. Yeah. This is like HTML1. HTML, no, like it's HTML4. Coding by hand. It's still HTML4. Yeah. But it was Dream. Oh, I mean, Dreamweaver was one of those WYSIWYG, what you see is yeah. what you get editors, right? I remember that. And yeah. you create all this yeah. shitty code yeah. and then you can go and strip you it could, You could even take like a Word document and like convert it to an HTML page or something. Yeah. yeah. And, and you would create your graphics in Fireworks. Right. And uh, your web page in Dreamweaver. I, I made like a couple of basic websites, like yeah. absolutely basic. Did you have the, the blinking under construction uh, sign? Yeah, and the little, uh, uh, what was it? The ticker at the top, but it wasn't it oh, hits. The hit counter. <laughs> yeah. And pe people attributed hits to uh, page views. But if it would hit, sit there was, and keep reloading the page. It, was, it wasn't civil resistant, right? It would just keep going up. But also, it, it was a hit for every hit to the, every request to the server. So if you had 20 images right. on the page, you'd have that 20 and the, um, and the one for the page. You'd have 21 hits. Good number, 21. Yeah. I t so I've got so many stories about this. But anyway, so I put my name on this freelance board and I'm about a week back into my third year at uni. And I get an email from this company, uh, ecountries.com. They're like, oh, are you available um, in, over the next two weeks? We need a freelance HTML uh, developer. And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. Um, like, what's the pay? And they're like, oh, it's £900 a week. And I was thinking, 
Well, currently I've got a job at Weatherspoons right. in the pub where I get paid like £3.48 an hour. <laughs> I'm broke. I'm a student. I'm like, yeah, I can do this. So I went into London for two weeks and worked. And there was like five of us along a desk like this with a with books on our laps yeah. coding these pages out. And I was getting £900 a week. And I didn't go back to uni. I quit. I went home, told my dad. No he kidding. lost his... Well, actually, there's a bit of a story to that. So actually what happened about two weeks later, uh, in the middle of the... Um, in the morning, not the night, in the, in the next morning, there was a phone call from my uncle and he was like, hey Pete, how's your sister doing? I was like, I don't know, give her a call. He's like, oh, you haven't heard. I was like, what? He said, oh, she's had an accident. She's fine, don't worry. So I phoned up my mum. I was like, mum, what's the deal with last? And she was like, oh, she's fine. She's got, um, she's crossing the road, she got hit by a police car. Yikes. She's got, and she said, no, no, she's fine. About an hour later, there's a knock at the door. I so my brother. I was like, oh, fuck, this is bad. Uh, my sister had um, been out the night before with my brother. She crossed the road and a police car hit her about 50 miles an hour. Jesus. She sort of spun in the air and she broke both her legs, both her arms, landed on her mouth. Yeah, landed on her mouth. And that was what saved her life. Right. Because the teeth took the impact. If she'd been in the back of the head Yeah, she'd she, she been killed. Uh, she got rushed to hospital. She died twice during the night and she was in a coma for a week. So I was going back and forth to uh, Addenbrooke's in Cambridge to see her for about a month. Uh, and then I went back afterwards. I was like, I've missed a month of uni. I can make this much money on the internet. I quit. My dad lost his shit. I was like, dad, let, let, I'll defer for a year. And then went out into the workplace and I was getting paid a lot of money to do this. I have no idea how we got to here. But anyway, yeah, weird story. <laughs> this turned into like a lot of personal life stories. Yeah, <laughs> but no, it was crazy, man. Like my, my sister should have, she did die and she should have died and she didn't. It was Thank un God she didn't. Un unbelievable that she survived that. I've got another funny story about that too. So <laughs> when she was in uh, intensive care, the nurses said, talk to her, she'll be able to hear you, play music, whatever. So my dad went and bought uh, like a little radio player, like a CD player. And my sister's a big ABBA fan. So we used to put ABBA CDs on. And there was like one, <laughs> one day I was in there uh, and the music wasn't on. No one's in there. And I was like, well, I'm going like, to test this shit. So I just went up to my sister in the ear and I went, Lars, you need to wake up. You're having a baby. <laughs> <laughs> You're pregnant. You're having a baby. Do you need to wake up? Kind of forgot about it. And um, about, you know, after a week, they it was an induced, induced coma. coma. Yeah. yeah. They brought about the coma. Then she couldn't talk at first. A couple of days she started talking. And anyway, one, I was, one day I went and got some lunch, came back. And my mum was there, and I was like, uh, yeah, how's Lars? She said, yeah, she's great, but that's like a really weird thing. She was like thrashing around earlier saying like, where's my baby? I want my baby. What did you do? Yeah, so my sister thought she was pregnant. Also, she, my sister's gay. She forgot she was gay. Wow. So she wasn't, after after her um, coma, for about a month, she didn't know she was that's gay. That's incredible. Yeah, weird stuff, man. man the fuck are we going with all this? <laughs> brain science. We, we understand nothing about the, the brain, basically. No, we don't. How do we connect this back to Bitcoin? Uh, anyway, back to, back to stable coins. It would be great if there was a way that people knew. There's a way that people just yeah. could just figure this shit out, man. If they could just know which ones they could trust so, or but buy. Here's the thing. There's, there's an in inherent tension here because historically, the way that people know is is a thing is approved by a government or it has some imprimatur. You know, someone has given it a stamp of approval, right? And to the extent that we believe in decentralization, how do you achieve the same thing? No, actually, but it's interesting because no one, no one ever gave Bitcoin a stamp of approval, right? Bitcoin just emerged as the winner, more yeah, or less. Yeah. I wonder why that hasn't happened with a stablecoin. That's an interesting thing. We could talk about that. 
I think it's a scaling question. I mean, it kind of is Tether, but there are questions. Well, there's issues with Tether, right? Be, like, it's centralized. And, and for that reason, first of all, it's capital inefficient. This is one of the big issues with these centralized, fully collateralized, you know, quote-unquote, fully collateralized stablecoins, right? That if, if there's more demand for Tether than supply, then market forces dictate, macroeconomics dictate that the price is going to go up, right? And, and the way that a centralized stablecoin issuer, issuer would respond to that is by issuing more coins, right? To, to, to keep the price close to a dollar or whatever, whatever the target price is. Um, but in order to do that, the Tether, the company behind Tether has to go out and acquire more assets and find a bank that's willing to hold them and communicate this to their auditors, et cetera, et cetera. It's a whole process. And I think for this reason, I mean, it has scaled, right? It's, it's something like 80 billion, 70, 80 billion, last time I checked. Now, before we carry on with the interview, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. I'm excited to announce my new sponsor, Cake Wallet, who I've recently started using as my mobile wallet for Bitcoin. Cake Wallet is a non-custodial wallet, which means it protects both your security and privacy because it doesn't share your important information with unnecessary third parties. And with Cake Wallet, not only can you hold Bitcoin, but you can easily pay privately with Monero. It has advanced features for Bitcoin, including coin control and automatic address switching, and the app is designed to make it super easy to set up your wallet and back up your private keys. Now, if you want to find out more and check out Cake Wallet, please head over to cakewallet.com or search for Cake Wallet in the Apple or Google app stores. Next up, it is BCB Group. BCB Group provides online business banking for companies in the Bitcoin industry, and yes, I am now a customer of BCB too. They heard about the difficulty I was having finding a bank and they also understand Bitcoin and they reached out to me so I've moved my business banking across to BCB and I could not be happier. BCB's clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds and miners active in the UK and Europe but they are now expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have had trouble with this too. And if you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you will want to become a BCB customer. If you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Next up, it is Compass Mining, but they are not just a sponsor. I am also a customer of Compass and I am back mining Bitcoin. And you know what? I've been mining for nine months with Compass now, and I've already mined 0.66 Bitcoin, which has paid off two of my S19s already. Now any of you can start mining with Compass Mining, and to help you, Compass has launched their Compass Score to help you make informed decisions about your next mining purchase. The score highlights how good each ASIC deal is, based on a number of factors like price, miner age, difficulty, hashing power, and the current Bitcoin price. Compass makes Bitcoin mining accessible to everyone, and as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. Now, if you are interested in mining or you want to find out more, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G dot I-O. Also, we have Gemini, who I am using for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm only buying right. We're hodlers. We're not sellers. I am also using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I have set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. And Gemini are now running a special offer for listeners of What Bitcoin Did. 
So all you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade over $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com forward slash WBD. Yeah, I, I don't see how you can have a decentralized stablecoin. A stablecoin is pegged to a specific sovereign currency, and therefore the only way to almost guarantee it is to hold fully uh, like full reserves of the amount you've issued, and therefore that has to be held by a centralized authority and managed by. So I, I think you so can that's, only that's one strategy, but I mean there are there are other strategies. But I, I think yeah, they're algorithmic. Yeah, and there are centralized. I mean, there's there's two or three levers here that you can pull on, right? So one is, what is it pegged to? Two is, is it collateralized? What is it collateralized with? How much is it collateralized? Is it 100%? Is it 50%? Is it 0%? Right? There's a sliding scale there as well. But I, I think the point of this is, is like, we have the dollar on the pound, right? We have sovereign currencies. A stable coin is just a, uh, a version of that, which is easier to move around the world. So for example, if... Uh, people accept stable coins over Visa and MasterCard, you can pretty much wipe out the fees that you have to pay with MasterCard and Visa because it's just direct peer-to-peer transfer, right? I just see this as a temporary thing that we need until Bitcoin either becomes the standard currency right. or we will always have fiat currencies. It's, it's, one, it's binary to me. It's one or the other. We I, think, I, think, yeah, I think Alex Gladstein spoke about this as well, you know, along the lines that like, What's funny, actually, because Bitcoiners love to shit on the U.S. dollar for, for obvious reasons, and yet the, the vast majority of stablecoins are tied to the U.S. dollar. Um, are they shitting on the so U.S. It's dollar? It's, it's, it's a bridge, right? Like if you, if you foresee a future in which, you know, on one hand, maybe hyper-Bitcoinization does happen, or on the other hand, there's some other reserve asset, maybe it's gold, maybe it's SDRs, maybe it's some, some basket of things or something. Still, you know, to the extent that, that most of our expenditure, like we're, we're how do we put it, um, our liabilities as individuals and as companies are still largely denominated in fiat. That's just the, the, the medium of exchange and the unit of account that, you know, in the world today. So we have no choice but to like use these things for now. But, but maybe it's a bridge to something better. But are, are they shitting on the dollar or are they shitting on the Fed? But they're, they're intrinsically bound together. You can't separate those two, what, right? Because the, the Fed well, controls the monetary policy of the dollar. Yes and no. I mean, you could have a, uh, uh, go back to like uh, the era of free banking and not have right. the Fed. I think the point is, is, I don't think the dollar is the issue. I think it's the monetary policy and the people who make the decisions around the dollar, which devalues, right. debases people's hard-earned money. And it probably wasn't an issue when we had the gold standard. Yeah. Which, by the way, is interesting because speaking of collateralization, um, you know, the U.S. dollar is not backed. It's not collateralized by anything. Obviously, today uh-huh. since the seventies, whenever Bretton Woods happened, um, it's collateralized by the U.S. Army. The, by the, the, guns. The, the, the full faith and credit of. The U.S. Treasury, I think, is, I think is what it says. Um, but the point is, it didn't start that way. It started out as collateralized, and and I think it's interesting. One of the approaches we've seen with a number of these stable coins is to do the same thing. They want to start collateralized by Bitcoin or gold or dollars or something, and then kind of like gradually reduce that over time and eventually reach. Do, do you know the 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 Wiley Coyote and the Looney Tunes? I don't know if you guys have this in the UK. Like this 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 this, this man, right? And he like runs out over the edge of the cliff. And there's like 10 seconds before he realizes and he it looks, and then he falls, yeah. right? So it's kind of like that. Like you kind of want to, like you're reducing your collateralization and you eventually reach zero. And the idea is, can you stay there out over the edge of the cliff and not fall? In other words, like 
people not realize that the, 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 the carpet has been ripped out from underneath you, right? Yeah, the rug pull. The rug pull. The rug pull. But the rug pull actually happened. Well, that, listen, ha that hasn't been achieved yet, but. I mean, I go back, I don't but, know. But, but, it, but it kind of has with Bitcoin, right? This goes, like Bitcoin itself doesn't, doesn't really have intrinsic value. Right, that the value of Bitcoin is that nothing has intrinsic value. Well, this is this is the true this is the true 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 reality. Um, that Bitcoin only has value insofar as you believe that the network itself, people will still be using it. it you could still use Bitcoin to buy things in the future, right? And and so something I guess right, we're agreeing. You don't something doesn't necessarily have to be collateralized to have value, right? Value is a story. Yeah, it's collective value. It's it's, it's cigarettes in jail. <laughs> it's Bitcoin for people who believe and hold and own Bitcoin. It's gold for Peter Schiff. There's, there's a lot of different things that have different value and it's all subjective. And a market decides what the value is based on what people want to use. That's all it is. It's very simple. Um, I mean, it's funny because this concept of value is definitely not a thing I ever in my whole life ever thought about before kind of becoming a Bitcoiner and getting into the space. And all of a sudden you realize it's not simple at all no um, and, and and you know price right when you say something feels expensive and again at our age we're now beginning to be those old fuddy-duddies who say oh my god you know when i was a kid a slice of pizza used to cost a dollar yeah. who knows right what it's going to cost when our kids grow up um but what does that mean for something to be overpriced what does hmm. it actually mean in concrete terms i mean i'd never thought about inflation right what inflation really is and how insidious it is until bitcoin I'd never thought about the value of things. I'd never thought about saving for my future. Right. I never thought about any of this time, shit. Time preference. Yeah. I I'm, I'm, was just literally a moron bumbling through life, earning money and spending money and not thinking about it in the slightest. Which is why I think there's that miss, that there's this thing about Bitcoin where people, what people miss in parts of the education. It's, it's not just about money. It's about, it's the wider things you learn about yourself and life that come from it. Right. Like, it's it's that time preference thing is actually super interesting. At first, yeah. I thought oh, this yeah. is cringe. What a load of bullshit! No, actually, it's super true. If you have to really consider your purchases, if every like every me, me and Danny like are always talking. Whenever we're about to sell some Bitcoin, it's like oh, I might need to sell a bit of Bitcoin for yeah. this. Should I? No, try not to. You know, whether it's a a watch, a car, or a house, whatever. But we actually have a. I don't think I spent any Bitcoin without talking to you first. I don't think I've ever sold Bitcoin. I thought you sold some recently. No. Huh. I thought you did. I stopped DCAing so I could buy a watch. <laughs> there you go. But see, <laughs> so but here's, here's, here's the funny thing. That so you, you sold some future Bitcoin. In economic yeah. terms, the opportunity yeah. cost, that's precisely the same as selling that's Bitcoin. True. So you just, we, we convince ourselves. <laughs> can, can I tell you my story about selling Bitcoin? I'll, just very quickly. Yeah. We, but we had a conversation about that. Yeah. And there's a few times. and I. But the point is, is every single time, I don't yeah. do it every time I spend money. It's like, painful. I, no, I but if you sell dollars or pounds, whatever, yeah, who cares? But yeah. every time we have that conversation, it's like, is it worth it? Should I? And yeah. once you start doing that, you're really thinking about your future. Yeah, yeah it's true. It, it's a little, bit, a little bit like our conversation about dietary preference and being vegan or something earlier, where when I tried being vegan for a week or two was the first time I ever really paid attention to all the shit I'm putting in my body. Like I really I began this process of reading, you know, all the ingredients. In, what is in this shit? Citric acid. Yeah. Well, it's bad so, for your teeth, by the way. Yeah, I'm British. My teeth are already bad. Um, th that's a really good point. I, I wish I looked at food and alcohol the way I looked at Bitcoin. Yeah. But, but so the, what Bitcoin teaches you to do is to apply the same level of precision to your financials and your economics, right? Like almost as if you were a business, right? Because you, you're forced, you're an entrepreneur, you know this, you're forced as a business to do, 
you know, uh, what is it called? The, 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 the two column accounting and, you know, you have to account for every dollar, every pound, every, every Satoshi, whatever. As individuals, we don't typically do this unless I guess maybe your parents were like accountants or something. Right. Huh. But, 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 but Bitcoin really makes me pay very close attention to my finances, my family's finances. Yeah. It's, it's done a lot. It's done a lot for me in terms of that. Uh, I've become very, like, I really consider my future, my right. kids' future. Right. I mean, I always had, like I told you about, putting that money away for my kids for their traveling. Right. I've done things like that. But now there's very serious considerations about what I'm spending money on, right. why I'm spending money, what it's for, where I should be putting my money. I, I never thought of about that before Bitcoin. It's always like, ah, you know, I'm earning enough money. I, I have a, a good friend, really, really smart guy, who um, was my colleague when I, you know, I have a background in traditional finance. Um, and he tried to convince me, this is, I don't know, 10 years ago, something like that. So I was in my 20s, you know, earning a high salary, working on Wall Street. He said, look, you shouldn't be saving a single dollar. You should be spending every dollar you make. And there's a very rational argument for this, right? Because number one, um, you have high earning potential for the rest of your life. You're, you're going to do fine. And number two, the, how do I put this? You can enjoy your dollars more today than you will 50 years from now, right? You can go out and spend that money on wining and dining and travel and all this stuff that you're not going to want to do, you know. Or, or you won't enjoy as much when you're older, and therefore you should save nothing and spend everything today. <laughs> it's kind of the exact opposite argument. I was almost convinced by this for a while, but do Bitcoin you, changes it. Do you do you plan to leave much inheritance to your children? I plan to leave everything to my kids. But do you? But what I'm saying is, do you plan to like grow a massive pot for them, or do you plan to hit a point and where you start spending it all and you leave them with enough, but you enjoy the money? Because that's yeah. a, that's a really important question. Like, if I was to die tomorrow. Right. My kids will be in a you know, fairly comfortable position, right? And life will made, be made a little bit hard. Actually, let me put it a different way. Say I get to live till I'm 70 and I retire at 50. Say I had a nice pot of Bitcoin. Do I want to bumble along and make sure they have all right, of that? Right, right, right. Maximize I, it. Or yeah. do I want to spend the fuck out of it and enjoy yeah, it and just yeah. leave them enough? Yeah. And in some ways, I, I want to maximize living and enjoying time while I'm here. So, like, there's going to come a point where I'm going to start spending the shit out of my Bitcoin and my savings. Because what I think, I, I, there's almost like, you know, you have goals to where you want to get financially. Yeah. I'd love they, they They move as you mature and become wealthier, though. I, the I, goalposts move and I it's know. insidious almost. But like, wouldn't it be cool to have like 10 million? To have 10 million, that'd be amazing. It's like, right, for the rest of my life, I can have as many holidays as I want, right. live in a nice house, whatever. But I think they'll get to a point, it's like, yeah, but I don't want to die with 10 million. Right. I don't need that. Right. I mean, if right. I could leave my kids 500,000 each, that'd be amazing. Okay, right. so I've got 9 million right. to spend over the next 20 years. And Well, here's the crazy thing. If you invest it well, including maybe in Bitcoin or you know, who knows, it can keep growing and you can actually reach a point where you can keep drawing it down. Escape velocity. The, the, yeah, I guess that's what it's called, right? Where, where the, the, the growth over time is equal to or greater than the amount you're taking out of it. This is, this is um, you know, there's this whole community on Reddit, actually multiple communities, the... the um, the FIRE communities, you know about this? No. Uh, financially independent, retired early. So there's fat FIRE and lean FIRE. Lean FIRE is like, if I can put $100,000 or pounds or $200,000 or pounds in the bank and move to Thailand, I can live on that for the rest of my life in a, in a very simple life. Dude, you can live like a king in oh, Thailand yeah. for that. But I'm saying like, that's your total assets. You, yeah. don't, you stop working, right? You retire early. You invested in something that gives you 5 10%. I mean, that's a lot, I guess. Hopefully not in Luna right? <laughs> yeah. per year. Jesus. Uh, and then and fat FIRE is, is, you know, you need tens of millions of dollars and you can live like a king here or in some expensive place, but the concept is the same. It's, it's a really interesting rabbit hole, actually. Um, there's some overlap with crypto, but it's, it's quite distinct. Yeah, so I, have to, I mean, we're only a few years apart. Uh, I'm not going to be doing this when I'm 65. I'm not going to be doing this when I'm 60. 
like to know. You'll be doing it in the metaverse. No, I fucking won't. <laughs> fucking metaverse. Is that, but, is that still a thing now? Are we like, is the metaverse uh, still a thing? Hopefully it's been laid to rest for, for some time. Can we talk about Web3? Yeah. I was about to say that I think we've landed on a, on a topic, which is uh, financial planning using stable coins and crypto. But let's, let's talk about Web3. Well, yeah. I mean, Web3. <sighs> so actually, there's a history here. Do you know the first time this term was used? Uh, yeah, it was used after Web2. <laughs> so... I, so I told you my internet story, my yeah. HTML. Yeah, this is Web 1. Yeah, Web 1. I remember Web 2. And I remember it happening. I remember when people were talking about it and they were talking about it with regards to interactive web yeah. pages. You yeah. type in Google, you yeah. get predictive results. You'd have Ajax. It was called Ajax, wasn't it? Like the interactive things on the pages. It was the web. Like Web 1 was you go to a website. It said about us. Static products, content. Static content. So, yeah, yeah, and each page was literally .html. Yeah. Maybe some CSS. There's yeah. certainly like lots of... The, this is the, the GeoCities days. Yeah, GeoCities. Yeah, GeoCities. But there was no connection to a database. Like a lot of these web pages were literally, the, the text was coded into yeah. the page. Yeah. And then you got interactive pages and you had US user-generated content, the, right. the early social media. So this was like... Um, forums or boards, yeah, right? Friendster. This was Friendster. Um, uh, Lycos. Um, no, but the really early ones, the first applications were, do you remember guestbooks, things like this? It was like a CGI script, right? So it was just a simple program. Actually, the funny, it's funny, I'm, I'm a software developer. The very first software I ever wrote was like Perl script, CGI scripts in like the, the mid 90s, early to mid 90s. But it was something like this, like a guest book. You arrive in a web page, it's like, oh, you could, Type anything you want there. And, and again, no civil resistance, no spam prevention, you know, people, but, but it was like almost like there wasn't even spam back then because spam itself hadn't been invented at that stage, right? You so had it was email like good spam. Behavior. Email spam was ridiculous. Email spam really, if I remember correctly, I feel like it started late 90s. It really started to, because it, the point is you didn't have a critical mass of people using email prior to that. So there wasn't the point in sending spam. The, I, all I remember is when spam really took off, it was relentless. And there was a lot of porn spam, just like literal hardcore yeah. shit. Coming you know, it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was use this to make your dick bigger. That's what I remember. <laughs> I mean, I, I know it was pretty targeted. I never received that, but... <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, so when, web, when the Web 2 stuff started happening, it was, I don't know who coined it, I don't know where it came from, but it felt like this is an improvement in the way you can code web pages yeah. And the benefit is to those who build web pages and companies who build web pages and people who use the internet. It felt like a collective yeah. benefit. And it was, and it was, there was a clear line between web one and web two, right? Web one was, as we said, static. It was publishers pushing things to users. Um, it was not interactive, right? And web two was the opposite of all those things. It was interactive. Yeah. It was user-generated content. It was social. Right? Yeah. It was also another aspect of it was, was purchasing things online with credit cards. That was a web two thing. That didn't exist in web one. But it wasn't, there weren't VCs talking about Web2 companies. It, it just didn't exist I for me. I feel like it's one of those things, it's like a term that we apply in retrospect. Like, it, no, it totally yeah. was. A, yeah. it, it was applied in retrospect. Right. I think you're right. But, you know, these things are happening. It's like, oh, it's like Web2. Well, it's like, it's like World War I was called the Great War huh. until World War II came along. Right? But, but I remember people talking about Web3. When they were talking yeah. about Web3, they were talking about the semantic web. Exactly. This is Tim Berners-Lee. Tim Berners-Lee, yeah. Right. The semantic web. Who, by the web. way, gets to do this because the man invented the web. He, the man... <laughs> thank you, Tim Berners-Lee. Thank you for not... Thank you for not um, uh, creating patterns around it. Or, or putting a shitcoin on it or something. Or shit, but I, th I think... It might, no, I could be wrong. <laughs> um, but, but, but it was the semantic web. This is what's coming. Yeah, the semantic web is coming. It will be a little bit more decentralized. You yeah. Know, and I remember it coming, and I think it was the World Wide Web Consortium. W3C. 3C, yeah. yeah. Who were talking about Web3. 
And this was just to, to put things in perspective, this was early 2000s. Yeah. Early aughts. I was still involved yeah. in coding web pages yeah. back then. So it was talked about this thing is coming. And, you know, I'm not sure how much the semantic web actually took off the tagging of every piece of content, whatever. I'm, I know people talked about it. I know there was the I think some of it got incorporated into like HTML5. Yeah. So, yeah. Was it like schema two or something? I can't remember. But, but anyway, I remember it being talked about. Yeah. And it would be a more private web, a more decentralized web, et cetera, et cetera. Cool. And then I feel like over the last year, 18 months, Web3 has now been changed into token holders owning part of companies. It's a new way of creating companies which aren't, um, which aren't uh, centrally created. They're decentralized companies, which we know they actually fucking won't be. Um, but, and, 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 you know, everyone else has to own a bit of it, right? Cool. If you're right, then at the point where you get to put your VC money in, you know, at your pre-whatever level that you're buying all your tokens, multi-coin, A16Z. Web16Z. Web16Z. <laughs> why don't you open up at that point everyone else can get in? Why, why are you buying at that point, calling it Web3, having a beta bill, beta product bill, launching it, allowing everyone else to buy, and you being provided with exit liquidity? Yeah, so everything that you just described is perfectly okay with me except the last part. I think that VC as an ecosystem, you know, the, the way these investments are structured evolved a certain way over time for a reason, right? To, to, and like the one thing that, that I've taken from crypto the past few years and sort of protocol mechanism design is that incentives matter enormously, right? And when you give the early investors that, that early exit opportunity, it, it throws everything off. It just, of it, the incentives are completely wrong. Because tip, just to be clear, right, not every listener might be familiar with the way a VC fund typically works in, in kind of a Web2 world or um, a typical kind of equity world, right? Just, yeah. you're, 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 you're locked in. You're holding that investment for five, seven, nine years, whatever it takes until you have a quote-unquote liquidity event or an exit, right? Something like an acquisition or, or a IPO. I always make a mistake in the IPO. IPO. Yeah. Oh, you, you, you provide it. You, you might be involved in the seed round right. or the A the round. The follow-on round, right. And you find a, you find a potential company and you invest one to five million, uh, the founders go out and they build a product, they essentially work on product market fit, they test their product, they make sure that like there's an audience, they check whether there's a like, genuine growth rate that can be right. achieved, right. Uh, they try and understand what the marketing channel is, once they've understood what the marketing channel is, right. what is the investment need into it, what is the retention of people of using that product. And by the way, you can't be acquired or IPO unless you figure these things out, because right? you, you have to disclose them. Yeah. And uh, is the revenue working? Can you, you know, so essentially it goes back to that uh, acquisition, conversion, retention, monetization, that whole, and, and yes, okay, we've proven product market fit, we now need to scale B round. Okay, we now need to scale again. Right, C round. Right, Eventually, right. you get to an IPO. Ideally, ideally. I mean, IPOs have become more scarce, and it's gotten harder because of a lot more regulation. And also, their acquisitions are much more common now. We have the SPACs, and they're also a bit bullshit. They seem to be IPO at values where it's just another uh, li uh, uh, event for people to like, exit liquidity event. I mean, fucking yeah. Coinbase, perfect example. Coinbase is, was down almost ninety percent, eighty something percent on the year. Yeah, it's yeah. like a shit coin. Um, so that, that we all understand that's the traditional route. But now with Web3, yeah. they get to, as, as, 
said this a million times, you get to IPO at your seed round. Yeah. You, you get instant uh, exit liquidity and you have not proved product market fit. How many shitcoins have actually proven a sustainable long-term product market fit? I think Bitcoin has, because obviously not a shitcoin. I think in some ways Monero has done has created product market fit for a certain audience. Mm-hmm. I've always been okay with Monero. There's an audience out there who are buying things with Monero because it's private and yeah. they trust it. Yeah. They've done a better job than any other privacy coin. As much as I'm not a fan of it, Ethereum has proved product market fit for a certain yeah. area of things. They've got issues, but they have. I don't think Solano has. And uh, you know, certainly not these... 15,000 other shit coins. It's a very small number. I don't, I don't, I was actually thinking as you were speaking just now, like what the actual number is. I was going to say, oh, you can count on one hand. Maybe it's more than five, but it's a very small number. It's yeah. a very small number. But we've got funds, right? Um, what is it? Katie Horn? What is, she, is, is that her name? Katie Horn? Katie Horn was at A16Z. She started her own yeah. fund recently. Yeah. She raised like 1.5 billion for a Web3 fund. And there's all, you know, all these funds are raising yeah, billions. Huge. huge. A multi coin. Uh, I read so somewhere much. something like, 20 or I hope I'm getting this right 20 or 25% of all VC dollars it was either raised or invested last year was crypto projects which is which wow. is crazy crazy and so I mean, that will come down this year obviously but so they have an incentive to create this category called web3 right but i don't believe the thing that they're explaining and talking about is making the web a better experience than like web2 did or like web3 was meant to I just don't agree with it. And, and I think Chris Dixon, Mark Andreessen are massively incentivized to make this a thing. And I don't know why. Maybe is, is it the, the latest thing they can make billions from? Is it because there's, you know, we're beyond the, 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 the tech boom? There's not as many ideas available. I don't know. But I, I just me, find it thoroughly. I just, I don't like it. So let me, for sake of argument, kind of make the, 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 the counter case here. Um, because it is interesting. No, you just meant to agree with me, and then we can move on to. All right, let's go get beers. <laughs> get <laughs> back to bees. Get back to bees. Um, so, so one aspect that we could talk about that's really interesting is the kind of decentralization of data, and you know, users should retain their identity and have self sovereignty over their identity, their data. Um, actually, I think a, a maybe even easier piece to look at is one of the things that Chris Dixon has talked about, which is the I forget what he calls it, but there's like a there's a growth extraction process that plays out with pretty much every company. And you've seen this, I've seen this, right? So with, with, with pretty much any centralized company with a technology project early on, I mean, I'm thinking like Uber in the early days. It was fucking awesome in the early days. Mm-hmm. Press a button and a taxi shows up. The prices were very reasonable. The support was amazing. Anytime you had any issue, you, re- you, know, you, you send a message and within an hour, you'll get a response back and they'll give you credit. Any product, pro- project, tech product in the early days has to be super user-friendly to acquire an audience, right? That's right. That's what you have to do early on. And they have growth capital, so they don't have to be entirely profitable. Yeah, exactly. Can I mean, you get well, users? Uber will never be profitable, but can you get users? That's that the is, only thing that matters you get users? in the beginning, right? But how do you get users with great user experience, great support, just great UX? You know, all these kinds yeah. of things, right? Um, you 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 solve a problem, and you do it 10x better than anyone has yeah. before. But the problem is that. Over time, the incentives and the dynamics change, right? For any company that has private investors, uh, any public company, there is a growth mandate, right? They have to keep increasing, pumping the value of, of, their, of their equity effectively. And the way you do that is by over time slowly squeezing and beginning to um, 
exploit your users or extract users, turn your users into the product, right? Which is what's happened in social media. Um, and the, the market is just set up in such a way that this is unavoidable. You know, comp- yeah. the, the classic example of this is Google saying, don't be evil. And then, you know, 10 yeah, years later, be a little bit that, evil. yeah, yeah. Uh, um, we can be in China. It doesn't matter that they want us, us to censor what happened at Tiananmen Square. Yeah, we'll do that. And the incentives are such that no matter how good the early intentions of the founders are, they're kind of like forced into, again, this, this, these, these two options, right? One is, one is acquisition and the other is, is IPO. Um, and that, force, that forces them to... Well, sometimes it's pre-IPO, sometimes it's post-IPO. So pre-IPO, you sure. want to become as profitable sure. as possible. Sure. So you maybe sack a bunch of staff, you stop spending money on marketing. Exactly. exactly. So your, 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 your support goes to shit, right? I mean, Uber is now absurdly expensive, especially in places like New York, and their support is, is just ridiculously terrible. You're come, lucky to get any response. We should come back to that, yeah. by the way, because it's ridiculously expensive in New York. Let's come back to it. Let me just yeah. finish this, this thought. No, okay, but I'm, so, I'm with you. And we all post IPO, it's like your share price always has to go up. Exactly. Because if it's not going up, you're failing. You're going to get fired. I mean, yeah. the, the reality is you as CEO of that company or chairman of the board or whatever it is, you're going you're gonna to get a pink slip. You're done. You really, truly have no choice, right? So one argument in favor of something like Web3 is um, that you don't have to do that. You're not forced to ever sell or be acquired or IPO, right? Because the project is owned by the user. So it's a lot like a co-op, basically, right? But it it never is. And therefore, you don't need to exploit your users or extract, squeeze them and extract value from them. Another way of phrasing this, um, there's a a project um, called Exit to Community. Uh, So there's a gentleman named Nathan Schneider, who's a professor at University of Colorado. um, And there's a whole group that does research on this. And so they want to offer an alternative, right? If you are that high growth project and you have this community that's super active and they love it, um, shouldn't there be a way for the founders to kind of uh, exit rather than to the market or to, um, to an acquirer, right? To the community. And maybe this doesn't look like billions and billions of dollars. Maybe it's an order of magnitude less than that, but, but the founders can be very comfortable. And at the same time, the community can take over stewardship of the project. So this is, this is like, this is an idealized version of Web3. And I do believe that, that, there's some potential for this. This has not uh, really happened successfully. I think maybe the best example we have right now is Shapeshift. Do you know what, what they're up to? How they've, been, they've, been, yeah, they've been decentralizing Shapeshift yeah. from a company into a DAO, effectively. Yeah, yeah but okay, so Shapeshift aside, the kind of projects that I've seen people investing in, it's a bit confusing because there's a token, but sometimes there's also a company which has equity. Yeah. Well, the typical, the typical, the most common structure is a dual structure where you have a for-profit company and then you have something like a foundation, could be an association, uh, which is a nonprofit, which sort of controls the treasury, issues the token, maybe runs the ICO. And then like the for-profit company acts as a service provider to the foundation. This is kind of how these projects tend to, to sort of get around securities laws, things like that. Yeah. But this is where it feels a little bit like bullshit because what you've done is you've created the equity which you as the company own, and then you've also created the token which you own part of, which you allow a bunch of people also to buy the token, but the company still exists. Like, if if the token was all that existed, and the token represented equity, I could partially see your argument. But it, in the end, the people who own the token want the token to go up in value, because it's an investment. So either way, if you're buying something, you want the investment to be successful. There, there's, there's many 
I think you're oversimplifying a little bit. So what okay. I've seen like as an investor and to some extent the projects that I've helped launch as well, um, there's there's a, a menu of options you can choose from, right? So, and it's changed over time. So circa 2017, the really popular thing to do was the ICO. And the thing that the investors were buying was a SAFT, right? A simple agreement for future tokens. And there was no like equity component. And that fell out of favor for obvious reasons because, you know, SEC began to kind of pay more attention and, and people began to say, well, a lot of these things probably are unregulated securities. And so instead of SAFTs, people started doing SAFEs, which are more traditional, right? Simple agreement for future equity. However, there's hybrid structures where the equity itself is tied to a token. Um, so for example, like in, in, in the case of Space Mesh, we have a company, we have an operating company, which is like a Delaware C corporation or something. Every investor who owns a share of that company is entitled to some number of coins in the network. And the most likely scenario is that when the network goes live or shortly thereafter, called a year or two after, we will dissolve the company, right? And just leave the network and just leave the coins. Like that's one relatively clean way to do it. And it's a little bit like, again, what Shapeshift is doing. That company is going to be completely dissolved. There's going to be no assets, zero assets left. It, all the value is going to be held by the network. So I think that there are like healthy ways to do this. But of course, you're going to say the space space mesh is the healthy option because you're working on it. But you're sure, not no, sure. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I recognize my biases and, and yeah. this is an experiment. We haven't done this yet. Um, I, I feel like other projects probably have done some version of this. But, but I, I still feel like the whole thing is fundamentally dishonest. I think Web3 is a marketing term to to sell the idea that we live in a world of tokens, and I think we're, we've, what, six years into the proliferation of tokens? I mean, it really started in 2017, so we're, yeah, five to six years. Five years yeah. to six years, and pretty much every char for every token looks the same, and eventually it tails off to death. It's like, how many times do you want to try this? How many times do you want to try this to... To, to you, you've been proven it doesn't work. Like not everything is going to be decentralized. I just th that's it was fair. That's it fair. was like the Carl Salami thing the other day, where it's like, oh, who's building Airbnb on Web three? It's like, oh fuck off, man. We did this in two thousand seventeen. It's like a bullshit idea. We're not going to put everything on a fucking blockchain. Yeah. So I've, look, Airbnb isn't perfect. But right. I like the fact that I right. can call up Airbnb right. and say, hey, I've got an issue with the booking. Right. Customer service deals with it. Also. If I've got a property and I list it, am I fuck going to list that on a decentralized network? I want it to be listed on a centralized network that is insured and has customer services. Right. So if someone comes in and fucks up my property, I can go to them and say, hey, there's a problem here. I just don't buy it. I'm not sure if that still puts me in status cut category, but I just don't, I just don't buy it. Like some things are going to be better centralized and some yeah. things are better decentralized. Money clearly is better decentralized yeah. because of the incentives. Yeah. But I actually like centralized things. I think yeah. some things built centralized are better. I think I think centralization is good for user experience. It's yeah. good for support, like you're talking about. Um, it's good for accountability. Yeah. So, you know, the 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 vision is that crypto economics. If you believe that that's a thing, and certainly a lot I of don't. Ethereum people do, right? I don't. The vision is that you can get accountability through crypto economics, through things like mechanisms like bonds, right? So you, as a participant in a network, you have to acquire a token, like a utility token to become a service provider. So let's talk about decentralized Uber, right? That's a fun use case, right? In order to become a driver, I need to have, I need to hold some minimum number of, uh, of, of the tokens of this network and I need to stake them. I need to bond them. And if I misbehave, if I, uh, you know, 
if I don't respond to enough calls or if I, you know, if I get too many one-star ratings or whatever, then I'm going to get like quote unquote slashed and some portion of those tokens are going to be taken away from me and you get accountability through these mechanisms. However, it's fragile for the same reason that like algorithmic stablecoins is fra are fragile. Yeah. Uh, and it's similar to the idea that Michael Saylor has with Twitter in that he wants you to have an orange chat mark and you have to stake some Bitcoin right. and you lose that Bitcoin. I think there's some merit in it. And I think there's also some potential flaws in it, but I'm not opposed to the idea. But for me, that works because that is money. Like, and I think right. with Twitter, they could do it two ways. If you want to be anonymous, you could stake some Bitcoin. Right. Okay. Uh, if you don't care and you want to, you can, you can stake 10 bucks of a stable coin or whatever. I think it's possible to do something like that, but you're doing it with things that are accepted as money. The dollar mm, is definitely, the this. dollar yeah. is definitely accepted as money yeah. and it makes sense. If I fuck with my Twitter account and I lose that 20 bucks, that is annoying. Yeah. And also, if I want to spam, if I want to do a thousand right. spam accounts, that's 20,000. It's just a pain. It's just a pain. Okay, great. I get that. And, and, and that to me, like, does, that does kind of work. If it's another token. Yeah, if it's a shit coin. Yeah, if it's a shit coin, it's not really money. It's a shit coin. And actually, what if that shit coin loses, my, like, value? What can I buy? Load more shit coins and then suddenly start you know, attacking that network? And then somebody is like, well, let's look, at, let's look at a normal day, okay? Or a normal trip like this. I have to uh, get to the airport, so I need an Uber. So I go on decentralized Uber. So I've got my Uber shitcoin. And then I have to uh, get on my flight. So decentralized British Airways, now my British, <laughs> British Airways coin. Sh shittish Airways. Shittish, no, British, British Airways are good, okay? And then I, I get to New York and I've got to get to my Airbnb and I've got my decentralized Airbnb. And it's like, how many fucking shit coins have I got here? Yeah. How many different things? Well, this is, different not, this is not very different than the way things work today, like needing different currencies in different places. And, you know, you, the, the, the stupid cards you need, I needed one. Actually, the London Metro is a good example because you can actually tap any credit card on the London Metro to pay. They just introduced that here in New York, like yeah, last year. I, do, I come here and I just tap my you card. Used, but you, you used to need a Metro card. That's no longer the case as of like a year ago. Yeah, but, but here, what I'm saying is when I use Uber, it comes from the same account. Right. When I go to the right. shop and I buy myself like the deli and I get myself a sandwich, I just tap my card and pay, right? right? I don't need to think about that. I don't want to have to think that every single service I use, right? how much have I staked? What is the value of it? Is the value going right. up? Like, have I got my private keys? It's just too much. It's too much. I just, I don't believe and I think it's bullshit. And I think, like I say, there are people with incentives to do this because they've made an awful lot of money yeah. off failure. They've made a shitload of money of failure because they've got exit liquidity for something that hasn't had product market fit. I don't disagree with that. I don't believe there will be a decentralized Uber. I just don't see it coming. And and maybe maybe I'm just like a Luddard or what I just I just think we went through this in 2017 and it didn't happen. And we seem to be going through it now and we've replaced IPO with Web3. That's ICO with Web3. And I think these people have incentives and I think they're full of shit. And if you can do it, go and build it. Why do you need a fucking token? Well, they so want to, I know why they want a token. There's, there's one obvious reason and one less obvious reason, right? So the less obvious reason is things like monetary policy. If you want to have any control over like minting and burning, minting in particular, you have to have your own token to do that. You can't do that with, you can't mint Bitcoin or ETH, right? But why do you need to mint a token? Certain crypto economic mechanisms might require you to be able to, you know, dynamically to have monetary 
policy control, right? So to increase or decrease the token supply, things like that. But why do you, macroeconomics? Why can't why can't you build the, the same decentralized thing but just use Bitcoin? I think in nine nine times out of ten, you probably could just use Bitcoin. To be completely honest, but I, I think to say that. There's no need for any token in in any case whatsoever is disingenuous because there are legitimate cases where you need either either at the beginning right in the case of cr- cr- spinning up a decentralized shapeshift you know to use that as an example or a DAO or something you need to be able to like mint tokens and hand them to certain people right or or maybe even have a more active monetary policy over the long run. Uh, but are you minting tokens or are you minting pseudo equity? Because if you're minting pseudo equity, that makes sense. Because but but let's not call it a token. Let's just call it a share. Because we know what a share is, right. and it's a share of something that you can sell. So, are you minting tokens with a monetary policy, or you're minting a share? It's a gray area, right? And this this is where things get complicated because because people benefit from gray because areas. no, when you call yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, when you call something a share, which implies equity, right? That that has a whole bundle of of things that that, that goes along with it. So, shareholder rights, fiduciary duty on the part of the of the principles. You have the principal agent problem. You have all this kind of typical corporate governance stuff. You don't have any of that with tokens, and that's one of the problems, right? And, you know, as an investor, when you buy tokens, if you read the fine print, truly, you know, it says things along these lines. It says you have no rights whatsoever. You have no, uh, you have no shareholder rights. You have no governance rights, no voting rights. So it's kind of the perfect instrument for the issuer. It's, it's shit as, as the holder of the token. Yeah. I think people of... People like the tokens because they want to circumvent regulation sure. and they want to circumvent product market fit and they've seen a market where they get to get in super early. Like, do you know what? I actually preferred ICOs from what is happening right now because at least when it was ICOs, it was like, and by the way, I think ICOs are bullshit because there were loads of terrible projects, but the, the structure-wise, at least with an ICO... It was more honest, right? Well, it opened up and yeah. everyone could... like. Yeah. Send some Bitcoin yeah, 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 or some yeah, ETH and yeah. they, they would get some tokens yeah. from the very, very start. Yeah. What's now happened is all these massive funds... To be fair, I don't think it was from the very start when it was ICOs. There was always like pre-rounds. Not always. That. No, definitely not always. I, I, I know. Mean, if, if Ethereum, to pick the most obvious one, didn't have a yeah, pre-round. Ethereum didn't. I, I mean, I remember myself when I was a shitcoiner, I yeah. got into some at the very start. It did come in. Yeah. And now it is like, but, but largely that was a response to the perception of to the reality or the perception of, of regulation and saying, well, okay, actually we need to only sell to accredited, accredited investors. But this is the flip side is how disgustingly awful the, the quote unquote investor protections are. My, my 10 second story here is I was an advisor to an investment fund, I don't know, five years ago or something briefly. And I could not own shares in this fund that I was advising because I was not an accredited investor at that time. And, and we jumped through every hoop. We, we, we stretched, you know, bent over backwards and talked to lawyers in multiple jurisdictions, tried to get very creative and said, look, you're, you're an advisor for the bloody fund. Like, you should own a share of this fund. And they couldn't find a way to legally do it yeah, because of these stupid, to protect me from myself. Yeah, and investor protection rules are dumb. Again, yes. they, are, they give adva- advantage to the rich. And it's bullshit. But In the name of protecting the poor. But these tokens... I've essentially come up with a way of circumventing that right. without solving the problem. <laughs> That's what it is. They've circumvented it without solving the problem. You still own no equity. You own a token that will have a uh, some kind of bull market and then will have some kind of crash and most people will lose money. It's, it's an interesting question. So you, you asked a little bit ago how many tokens or coins have 
sort of over the long term like maintained value or or been you know value accretive? And the short answer is we really don't know because it's it's too soon. I mean, as we two. said, it's only been five years. There's two. I think, but, 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 but it, this is an empirical question. You could actually look, and I don't know offhand. Like how many, for example, from that crop of 2017 ICOs, there were thousands of them. Yeah. How many of them are still worth a meaningful amount of money? I'm sure the number is greater than zero, but it's very low. I mean, I'm not a fan of Ethereum, but I'm I'm honest enough to say it seems to have created and maintained a community that has grown from cycle to cycle and is doing a thing. I don't like it. I wouldn't invest in it. I wouldn't buy it. I don't use it. But it has. You know, it's survived. And do I think it'll be here in four years? Probably. Do I think ultimately, does it have a long-term purpose? No, I don't. But it does. It has done that, and like, like Bitcoin has. But... So much shit hasn't. But then, then there's other stuff. Maybe, maybe someone spun up the Cardano chance. Hey, oh, the Cardano has. But what the f- what actual value has it delivered? Like literally, fuck all. Like nothing. They've produced some good research papers. <laughs> to, to be completely fair, didn't they do some like I? Didn't they sell some like bullshit to Ethiopia or something? Oh, the dot. Yeah, I don't know. But what I'm saying Ethiopia is, Ethiopia's like, got the dot ETH top level domain. Never mind. Out of the dot com bust. We got Amazon, we got Google, yeah. we got Facebook, yeah. we, you know, we, we Uber. Uber, like we have, we got all of the. No, but even, even from the t- the time Actually, when it Uber's crashed, young, I'm wrong by the way. Uber's much younger than that. Yeah, Uber came after the yeah. crash. I'm saying yeah. there was stuff pre-crash that yeah. stayed. A lot yeah. of stuff stayed, and probably a lot of smaller stuff was created. And uh, companies got online, and you know, if you were a mum and dad like retail business, you could spin up an e-commerce. Show. All this other stuff that came out of it. But you know what we got from 2017. We got, we got stable coins. We got lending protocols that I think. Fair. So this is one of the answers to the question. This is more like 2018. This is kind of from that bear market, right? Yeah. Compound fair. and Ave and you know some of the, like these projects. They're relatively simple. They work pretty well. There's some value in in them. They still they've maintained you know some network value. But I mean, I, I would struggle to come up with other examples. Yeah. Uh, we've got Uniswap. Uniswap is is. But I could a spin it project. a different way and say, actually, we have. Got all this other stuff. What have we got out? What was all like? So, the, all the crypto market went up and crashed down. And I can give you a reason of all this other stuff we got, like out of the dot com bus. We got ability for people to be able to transact globally right. with Satoshis. Right. Okay. We got That's the huge. ability for people to be able to send donations to people who are activists in. Uh, uh, in difficult locations, Belarus, uh, Nigeria, wherever, send money in. We got the ability for people to send money permissionly across uh, 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 across borders. You know, we've got this entire network of shit that's been built on the back of Bitcoin. And I, you know, even though I don't like it, I accept there's some arguments similarly for ETH. But for Bitcoin, we've got this whole network that's growing of commerce, value transfer, and, bit, and, it, and it's brilliant. Yeah, and you're right. A lot of this, like Lightning uh, Lightning Labs, a lot of these folks, that was getting off the ground in 2017, was built during the, the same bear market of 2018, 2019, really, you know, began taking off 2019, 2020. You and I yep. have both seen, you know, that work really brilliantly in El Salvador. We've, um, we've got a country that, that has now a, it now has uh, a, a decentralized currency, which is now a legitimate currency within this country. When do you think we'll see the next one? Well, what's going on with the Central African Republic? Oh, right. 
there was something that came out of there about a month ago. I tell you when I think we'll see it. Are, 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 we, are we going, by the way? Because, I mean, we went to El Salvador. I mean, you've been I'm going a, there for I ages. Want, I'd like to go. I'd like to go. CAR would be a fun place to I'd visit. I'd like to go. Yeah. I have never been to Africa. I'd love to go. I was meant to go before COVID. I had like eight countries planned. I was going to go to uh, Ethiopia. I was going to go to Nigeria. I was going to go to Kenya. Kenya. I had like a whole route yeah. planned. And it, yeah, I've, been, um, I've been helping with a community thing happening in Kenya. Um, just education about blockchain stuff. And it's incredibly active. I mean, the people there are so hungry for, for knowledge and just hands-on. There's like really a lot of, um, a lot of talent, a lot of, uh, you know, software developers there and, you know, people who potentially can run banks and be financial planners and things like that. I mean, Kenya's, Kenya, Nigeria, a lot of the places you mentioned, Rwanda, right, are, are relatively accessible because they're Anglophone countries. There's also a lot of potential in like Francophone West Africa. I mean, yeah. Af Africa is the future. So we've gone zero to one it's not so much when do we go one to two, it's like when do we go one to ten. And I think I know. I think in my head, I think what's going to happen is a lot of people are... Remember, if you're in the rabbit hole, you're looking at El Salvador and you're going, fucking smart. They've got in early, they're stacking, yes, yeah. the price has dropped, yeah. they're building out the infrastructure. They're, they're ready. They're getting ready for when everyone else comes on. But if you're not down the rabbit hole, you know, you're looking and going, what the fuck's that country doing? Like... What, they've spent all that money on Bitcoin. They've lost money on that like weird internet currency. They're like currency. hurting their relationship with the IMF yeah, and the other international doing? institutions. Okay, say in the next two years we have another ball room. Say Bitcoin does another 5x, okay? So we're, we're over 100k. You're over 100k, maybe we're 150, 150 200k. Yeah. Suddenly, all that money we right. put into Bitcoin right. has boomed. They are the smart guys. They've got people come to the country. They've got infrastructure built out. It's like, holy shit, they're ahead of us. Other countries are going, why the fuck didn't we do it? Right, we need to get in now. And I think that that's what will drive it. I think if you get a genuine success story behind El Salvador, to, but I think it takes time. To, to be fair, there's also a lot of other variables at play in El Salvador. I mean, as, as you're very aware, El Salvador is struggling with, you know, with resurgence of violence and, mm -hmm. and, and some, you know, some, some oppression and some crackdowns and a lot of people being thrown in jail who maybe don't belong there. And it's, it's a lot of variables. Bitcoin is one of them. Yeah, and also it is a country that doesn't have a sovereign currency. But so it's funny, you said zero to one versus one to 10. In some senses, zero to one is not that interesting because it can be a fluke and one to two yeah. can be a fluke and two to three can be a fluke. But by the time you get to 10, there's roughly 200 countries in the world, right? So now you're at 5% of the world. At some point, it stops becoming a fluke. I would, I would put a different argument as well. It's kind of like, all right, uh, it's legal tender in El Salvador. Uh, it's not legal tender in the US, but like it's mainstream in the US. It like fucking exists. Like people well, this, is, this is the ironic that. thing. There's, without a doubt, more people here who have Bitcoin than in El Salvador, and maybe even more people like using it on a day-to-day -day basis, just by virtue of the fact that it's a much bigger country and a much wealthier country. Yeah, I don't think legal tender is so important. Right. I think removing capital gains tax is what's important. I mm. think if you can move, if you can treat it like money and remove capital right. gains tax, I think in Germany, if you've held it for like a year, you don't pay any. It's, it's pretty absurd, right? The idea that I buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin and that's a taxable transaction, yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. And it's also just almost impossible to account for. Yeah. So I, I just think if you can get better regulation around taxation, I, th I think it makes it better. How long have we got to the next one? Uh, two hours. All right, cool. Well, four hour show. <laughs> it's going to happen one of these days. What's, what's the longest you've done, actually? I've done three hours. Three. Because yeah, you I, and I, we got to two and a half, I think, maybe the first one. One of the ones we did was pretty yeah, long. Yeah, I, I think the sweet spot's 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, the yeah. sweet spot's 90 minutes. I think you're up to two hours. Yeah, with, you, know, you start, you're like, I would rather people listen to two episodes yeah. of 90 minutes than like one episode of three hours. And there's a lot of content out there with 
uh, Bitcoin. Like when I choose to listen to Rogan, what's the competitor set? Yeah. It's like it's all content, and I just listen to it because I like it. Same with um, you know, if I want to watch something on Netflix, but with Bitcoin content, it's like here's my podcast feed. Here's all the shows I can listen to. And they just you know you jump between them. So I think but, but most of them are garbage. I mean, and I'm, I'm not. I mean, I'm saying I'm not just saying this to you as a friend. Like legitimately, as someone who consumes an enormous amount of podcast content, I'm always looking for new stuff. It's people always ask me for recommendations for for just crypto content, and it's it's tough, man. There's not much good content out there on podcasts, like like reliably good. Yeah, you know? I mean, Pomp is just garbage. <laughs> second, second, second second biggest Bitcoin podcast, right? I mean, I don't know. I I don't look down. <laughs> I don't know. Listen, good people out there. I think um, I love what Marty Bent does yeah. with uh, yeah. Matt O'Dell. I yeah. think the two of them have an, an amazing show. Uh, I think John Vallis is super, super great interviewer. It's just a fucking smart guy. I think Natalie Brunel has become an absolute superstar. I wish I wish Alex Gladstein had his own podcast. I mean, I know he's writing books and articles and things yeah, like that. Yeah, I'm but. not sure. Because if he had a podcast, would he be interviewing people? There's, I think some people are better interviewing yeah, and some people are better being interviewed. Like, I hate being interviewed because I don't have anything good to say. I'm not very good at answers. I get nervous and stutter. Did, did Pump interview you? I mean, he did, right? Recently. Kind of, but like, it's in a studio and it's a bit of fun. Yeah. But like, I, you know, when you interview him, you want somebody who's smart, who's got something to say. Like, Wait, I, on one recent episode, you were, I think this was Eric Weinstein or something. You were saying there's like the there's there's two idiots talking. There's there's two gigabrains talking. There's an uh, no, idiot interviewing a gigabrain. No, that's my thesis on podcasts. It's the yeah. three categories. Three categories. There's, right. a, there's a smart person, a smart person. So that can be, um, like well, Eric had his own podcast. Yeah, with podcast. yeah. So it could be Eric Weinstein interviewing Noam Chomsky. Exactly. Yeah. And then you have a moron and a smart person, which is like Rogan and. Um, uh, Weinstein, and then you have a moron and moron, which could be like which is like us. <laughs> no, shut up. Uh, which is um, it could be like I don't know, Logan Paul and yeah. KSI, right? And I think there's a market for all of them for sure. And it's why when people complain about my podcast, like, you're fucking idiots. I well, don't listen. Like some people like this show because I'm you know lower IQ. I ask dumb questions. And I get things wrong. But there's a reason I recommend your podcast to basically everybody who asks because it's accessible and it makes sense. Yeah, it's like there are people out there who, who are similar who want to ask the same questions. A lot of people like that, I think. There are other people who want to listen to Breedlove because they're super smart and they can get into the deep and the weeds. It, and, and I'm like, it's good that we have all these shows. If you don't like one, just stop listening. Like, I'm generally, anyone listen to the show I'm talking to you now, if you do not like my show, Stop fucking listening. You need to fire. Like, literally fuck off. Fire 10% of your audience like uh, Weinstein suggested. No, no, no. Honestly, I don't care. Like, I only want people to listen to stuff they like and get value from. Like, if you disagree with my opinions, fine. Go and listen to an echo chamber or listen and see if it challenges you. Do, do you get a sense of the breakdown of your audience? Like where they fall politically? I don't know uh, if this is data that yeah, you... Yeah, I think, I think it's... Uh, I th <sighs> this is a guess, but I would say... The majority is center to left. Now, Interesting. now, interestingly, you could say then the majority is center to right. Okay, but I think it's, I think it's, I think it's majority around the center. So I've answered that badly. I don't know. What do you think, Danny? I would have said center to right. I think I don't think the majority of our audience is left. But I, I think you may wrong. be left relative to Bitcoiners. Oh uh, yeah, I think maybe but that's it's all true. relative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I just think it's a broad spectrum. Yeah. And there are some people who are very angry that I'm a Bitcoiner, but I don't want to own guns in the UK and I don't want the government to burn to the ground. 
tell me all the time. Yeah. How can you be in Bitcoin if you if you're a status? Like the same way that Alex Gladstein or I or you, I mean, we, I think we all have this particular political stance in common, right? Well, because Bitcoin to me isn't about destruction of the state. Right. Bitcoin to me is about having an asset that circumvents the state or makes the state better or makes the state smaller. It's a check on the state. Really. Yeah, it's a check on the state. Yeah. That's what it is for me. Yeah. And that's fine. And for you, it can be the end of the state because that's you. But that's what it is for me. Bitcoin is a mirror. Yeah. <laughs> you see in it what you want to. But the thing I would say to libertarians and anarchists is not that they're wrong. They say so much stuff, I believe it. Yeah. I like agree. I'm like, makes so much sense. Uh, and it's like Nin Orden said, look, we've got 50 states here in the US. Why hasn't one become libertarian? <laughs> like, why, why not even one? Well, we have New Hampshire, we have Wyoming, we have states that lean that direction, but... No. But they don't have a libertarian party, if that's what you they're, mean. They're, they're, they're Republican they're states. They're Republican yeah. states. Yeah. They might be libertarian-leaning Republican, right, right. but they're Republican states. But you can't smoke weed in New Hampshire. Yeah. Or Wyoming. You can't you can't cross from you can't cross from Colorado, from Colorado, Colorado Wyoming, with, yeah. with with, with yeah. weed. So that's not very libertarian. It's, uh, I think it's legal here now. And but quite do, recently, do, do they have social security in New Hampshire? And oh, that's a federal thing. Yeah, but the uh, oh, so the decision isn't made. Okay, what 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 social things exist at a state level? Uh, it's quite complicated here. So um, public so, schools. So healthcare can be can be at the state level, right? So there are state-run exchanges. So a state could theoretically choose not to like have a state-run exchange or something. I think in, in that case, the federal government would step in and do it. What about schools? Public schools schools, okay. schools are state level. There are but again, I think that it, it, the, the federal system here is quite complicated. I think in theory, if a state were to say something like, we're not going to have any public schools, I think what would happen, first of all, I don't think it would happen for various reasons. Yeah. You know, the, for example, the federal government has a, people aren't aware of this. Let me give you a simpler example. The drinking age. Uh -huh. It's 21 in every state, okay. right? which it, it's, it's pretty high. Um, that's a state law, not a federal law. So you would ask, why is it the same in every state? So actually, the reason for this is that there is a um, federal clause which says that any state that sets its drinking age lower than 21 immediately loses all its federal highway funding and all the roads would just fall apart. But, but So it's coercive on the part of the federal government. Sure. Well, maybe they can fund their highways locally. Maybe. I mean, libertarians don't worry about the roads, do they? Well, well they, they saying, believe the roads should be private. I mean, sure. Yeah, theoretically, look, yes, you could. Yes. Look, libertarians believe their yeah. way is right and yeah. it's correct. And, I, and, and I'm with them. But yeah. the world is a battle place of ideas. Yeah. And but not that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And, and not enough people are, are, are believers in wanting to live in a libertarian society. There are people. Right, right, right. I hear you. And maybe if you you're saying if you're arguing if there were enough, then they would have a critical mass somewhere, yeah. and there would be a libertarian state or country or something. Yeah, and well, there is, there is. Um, where is it? Is it Somalia? Is it Somalia? Somalia doesn't have doesn't have a functional government. Yeah, it's anarchist. <laughs> yeah, it's anarchist. Yeah, and they've got cholera, and they've got no health system. Yeah, and they've got um, uh, famine and lots of other nasty war warlords. Yeah, warlords. Now, I, I'm sure like there's going to be libertarians losing their shit listening to you fucking bullshit, but you don't understand libertarianism. My point being, it just hasn't happened. That's not to say it w won't. But it's an interesting thought experiment to ask, what, what would it take legitimately for a US state or an island or something to become libertarian? And actually, you know, there have been a number of examples of these like, like, like crypto bros and DAO people like buying islands, private islands. And, and no, what it requires is the accumulation of power, which contradicts the ideas of libertarianism. It requires the accumulation of power. So this is why there are libertarians, uh, there are libertarian parties, and then some people disagree with that because they don't think libertarians 
should have be, be involved in politics. <laughs> but but I actually like that idea. I wish the third party in the UK wasn't the Lib Dems. I wish it was a libertarian party who had policies for, say, reducing the size of government. And I wish right. you would have some kind of, uh, like, proportional representation in government where those people were the check on the government that could say, look, stop creating new fucking departments, stop employing people, stop spending money on this. Like, like I'm not a fan of big government. I absolutely support the idea of smaller government. Who's going to make... Local government, really. Yeah, Yeah. who's going to make government smaller? If you had more libertarians involved in politics, look, these are our ideas. You know, let's just, let's try, let's try and reduce the size. I fucking support that. This is what the Republican Party here used to stand for. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of this, the small government piece. Yeah, and the Republican Party under Trump implemented one of the biggest socialist policies in the history of the USA with yeah. stimulus checks. And, and, and grew and grew and spent even more than the Democrats did. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't even know how we got here, but the point being is we're in a better place of ideas. There are some fucking amazing podcasts out there where the hosts fundamentally are Bitcoiners and completely disagree with me. Listen to them. But if you were going to listen to my show, you're not going to change me I'm a European. I'm from the UK. We just think differently. We speak do, do, the same do, language. Do you identify as European? It's interesting because not everyone, I think, from places like the UK do. I just think maybe some Americans can't find the UK on a map. No, to America, I, I, I get it. <laughs> Americans think naively the UK is Europe, but I know it's not so simple to, to British well, people. But, but no, I, I, I identify as an English person which is part of the United Kingdom, yeah, it's which is part of Europe. It's, it's like going to Scotland and, and talking about how Great Britain is, though you'll get slapped in the face or something, right? Well, the United States is a, is a group of states that align on some things and don't align on other things. Europe is a group of states, countries, that align on some things and don't align on other things. But collectively, the Euro- collectively across Europe, we're very similar across most of Europe in, 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 in a number of ways, health policy and... I don't know, gun policy. Yes, you can have guns in Austria, I think, or Switzerland or something. But like, generally speaking, we're quite similar. And generally speaking, across the so you're saying there's a similar. shared European identity because I'm not sure everyone agrees with that. Like, maybe maybe Brexit voters don't <laughs> on certain issues. Yeah. Like, I think on healthcare, yes, there is a similar. And I think on say gun policy, similar. And I'm just picking That's the big true. things in the yeah. U- big things in the yeah. US. I think on uh, abortion, very similar. Okay. And, and 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 what I'm trying to say is like, there's hundreds of millions of people there who think a certain way, and in the U.S. there's hundreds of millions of people who think a certain way. You have to kind of accept we're just different. I've not I I didn't come to get a massive audience in the U.S. I just created a podcast and yeah, it your, your audience is largely U.S. based. Yeah, right? and they did, but I'm not going to change who I am just to cater for the audience. I wish I was winding this up, but <laughs> don't even know. Um, I don't think all. I don't think all podcasts are created equal, right? Just to your point about some of them being, you know, smarties talking to smarties or whatever. And the reason I say this is because if you believe that um, this idea is worth spreading and that we do aim for mass adoption, which I think we do if we want hyper-Bitcoinization to be a thing, I think podcasts like yours are um, the most valuable we can have. Like in my role in Ethereum and what I do today, like a big part of it is taking this crazy complicated body of ideas and the work and the social side of it and, and, and just kind of like trying to make it relatable to everyday people, to everyday humans. And it's, it's a huge project. And uh, I think we need a lot more of that. And I think that like, I think your show does a good job of that. Well, so what I would say to people is Bitcoin is a protocol for sending value from one place to another. Yeah. Trustlessly, permissionlessly. That's what it is. Take a look at it and just take from it what you want. 
and build. I mean, that's the most important yeah. thing we can be doing. Hoddle, biddle, you know, make your vision a reality. If you it's, wanna, a, it's a canvas. Yeah, if you want to build a social project and you want to give out sats and you want to yeah. support communities, cool. Like, just find what it does for you and want to do with it. Like, it, I think everyone can find value in Bitcoin and they should. But stop, like, make it making it part of the culture. Well, that's fucking dumb. Like, that's that to me. That's actually anti-Bitcoin. Yeah. Like you're you're making it part of the culture war. You're and you're making it something to be divisive and shout about. Bitcoin is not a thing for the right or for the left. Bitcoin is a thing for all humans. Yeah, absolutely everyone. And just go and figure it out. I think that's a pretty good note to end on, dude. Love talking to you, Lane. This has been great. You're, you're my favorite shit corner. <laughs> I, I think you said the same thing at the end of the last one. Did I? Uh, do you want to go get some Brooklyn pizza? It's a bit early for pizza. What's the time? <laughs> Listen, look, congratulations on having a baby. That's Thank amazing you. news. I'm, I'm very happy for you. The, the best way to create a new Bitcoiner is to give birth to a new Bitcoiner. You minted right? a Bitcoiner. Yeah. Um, we won't be able to do it this trip, but next trip uh, I should meet the little fella. Let's um, do it. But good luck with it and uh, all the best to your... You're not married, are you? I am, yeah. You know, all the best to your wife. Thank you. And uh, yeah, peace good out, luck to you. Good luck to you, the show and uh, the football club and... Everything else. Everything else. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you, man. Thank you. Okay, thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, then please head over to the What Bitcoin Did Telegram channel. And if you want to support the show, all we ask is you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review.